0: Hi, this is Derek from Atlanta. Unlike Bob, I am a former law enforcement officer,
1: but I still enjoy listening to a practical show by a practical guy. You're listening to the Handgun World Podcast. Hey, everybody. Wasilla Steve here from Alaska. You know, I listen to five or six podcasts regularly, and one of them is the Handgun World. And why? Because I, too, am a cancer survivor. And because Bob survived cancer, and I survived cancer, Bob got the pleasure of teaching me in two of his classes. And boy, did he ever enjoy that. And I'm not trying to brag or anything, but he taught the best student he has ever had. That being my good friend who attended the classes with me. So here now, a true survivor, a great American, And hands down, one of the best instructors I know, Bob Maine!
2: Hi folks, Bob Mayne here with another episode of the Handgun World Podcast. I carry a gun because I can't carry a cop. Welcome to episode 500. Finally, it's here. And I'm there. Episode 500. Can't believe it. But I'm excited. I hope you are too. Thank you very much. Last episode, episode 499, I spent a lot of time thanking people. So I'm not going to spend too much time thanking people in this episode just giving you some real good material to listen to. This is actually going to be two different podcasts, 500A and 500B. I had to split it up because there's so much good material and so long. I don't want you to have to, you know, download a 5-hour podcast. So 500A right now, March 22nd, 2020, on the 29th, 500B. And there'll be three more guests coming up on episode 500B. So remember, this podcast is sponsored by Concealment Solutions, makers of fantastic holsters. Concealmentsolutions.com. Inside the waist, outside the waist, appendix carry. Uh, Jason's company does it all. I own several. You get a 10% discount on your holster order just by using the one-word coupon code HANDGUNWORLD at checkout. HANDGUNWORLD at checkout. And if you forget that, check the show notes for episode 500. And uh, it'll be right there. So, we live in interesting times, ladies and gentlemen. We live in interesting times. We are living in something I never thought I would see in America with this quarantine situation and the coronavirus. You know... Before I started doing Handgun World Podcast, I did Today's Survival Show. And I published nearly 300 episodes of survival, common sense, survivalism. Do what you can with what you have wherever you are. And I I didn't go tinfoil hat on people. And I would advise you to go listen to that. Uh, you can find them at todayssurvival.com. You can also find it at Today's Survival Show on iTunes. It's all about prepping, common sense prepping. And I guess... um. I guess preppers are not so crazy now, huh? Uh, all you got to do is go to a Walmart, go to a grocery store, go to a Costco or a Sam's Club. And um, you just you watch people just freaking out because they were not prepared. Interesting times. Um, who knows what's going to happen here in our lives in the next few months. I'll say this. Episodes 501 to 505 are going to be dedicated strictly to preparedness and common sense survival. I'm going to do five podcasts. So tune in and even if... Get, get your non-gun friends. Even those who don't really are not much into gun, but guns but they realize now they got to start preparing for disasters. Get them to listen to episodes 501 to 505. Even these two. Uh, 500A and 500B. Because I am, I'm not going to spend much time at all on, on guns on those five podcasts. I'm going to talk a lot about prepping, getting ready, preparing for disasters, common sense. And I'm going to change things up a little bit from what I did over at today's survival show at todayssurvival.com. So, because I've got some more things to say, I've got some new ideas of what people should be doing, how they should be getting prepared, how they should be setting up their lives and things like that. Way beyond guns. It's interesting, if you carry a gun, you're already a prepper. I mean, you know, you're preparing for for the worst when you carry a gun, right? You hope you never have to use it, but it's nice to have in case you have to use it. And uh, as I've always said, I don't go looking for trouble, but sometimes trouble finds me so let's get started with the guests this episode is going to have glenn tate lloyd bailey and steve zofie so you're going to love this material and uh, we're going to get right into it let's get started with glenn tate author of 299 days talk about prepping uh boy i tell you what if you haven't read those books you need to read those books glenn's going to talk about it it will wake you up, and you know what's really interesting. It's that what we're going through right now with the coronavirus, folks. We got to stay positive, but it's this is almost like this is almost like 299 days books, kind of like playing out right before our very eyes. I think Glenn's books were very prophetic. Here we are. We're kind of living through this stuff. So let's let's hear from the man himself, Glenn Tate. The author of 299 Days and Prepping 2.0 podcast. I am so pleased and honored uh, to have back to the show uh, this next guest, and he's one of the top download getters in the history of the Handgun World podcast. Special guest, go ahead and introduce yourself.
3: Hi, everybody. I'm Glenn Tate. I wrote some books and stuff and did other things, and I have, I love being on Handgun World. Bob and I have become friends. He came out to where I was in Western Washington and did a shooting class a few years ago, and it was a blast. So it's just it's – it's been fun. I can't believe you're on 500 episodes. I remember, Bob, when it was very early in, probably, I don't know, double digits of episodes, and I remember you saying something like, you know, well, it looks like 150 people downloaded this show. That's pretty good.
2: So, <laughs> so Double-digit episodes. You remember that that far back?
3: Wow. Yeah, I mean, I can't say which one, but it was it was, it was within the first few months of, of you starting the show. And you had the cool name, and so I had to download it because I'm like, handgun. <laughs> handguns,
2: handguns. I mean, there cool. you go. <laughs>
3: I'm for handguns. Heck there yeah, let's go. hear more. Let's learn about this. That's so, right. So yeah, that was great. Yeah, well, congratulations on, on 500 episodes. That is a testament. In the podcasting world, that is hard to do. You know, I'm not going to complain, but everyone out there should know how much work it takes to do a podcast, and Bob has done all that work 500 times.
2: <laughs> yeah, That's <laughs> exactly right. That, yeah, and, and welcome back to the show, Glenn. Thank you. And, you know, um, I think it was like about 20... I think it was twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen when I was out there in Washington with yeah. uh, with Ben Branham and we uh we taught a class out there. It was actually we did it twice if you remember. Oh yeah. We were out That's there right. twice. And yeah. uh, wow, double digit episodes. Yeah, and I remember I think I remember saying, Hey, I got like hundred and fifty or hundred and sixty downloads for the episode and um <laughs> You know, for people who might not know, now I've had a total, a grand total, in about the 10 years I've been doing this show, over 5 million downloads.
3: Yeah, that's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, thank that you. Is...
2: And I don't like to brag. People know. I'm a, I'm a humble guy. But, but people do need to know the statistics. So, 500 episodes, over 5 million downloads. And, uh, you know, Glenn, I invited you back for episode 500 because... I went through my statistics and it was it was kind of hard to do. I went through the podcast statistics and I picked the top 6 or 7 uh guests that got that generated the most downloads and you were one of them.
3: Oh, very cool. Thank you. That's that's an honor. I'm glad that that a lot of people got to hear your show, and if they tuned in because of me, that's even better. So, very cool. Very humbling.
2: <laughs> well, thank, well, yeah. Thanks, and thanks for contributing. So, a lot has changed since you and I talked a couple of years oh, yeah. ago. Um, you now have your own show as well as more books and everything, right? First of all, r- remind people who are kind of new, tell them a little bit about your past book series and what's going on now.
3: Yeah, the the book series is called 299 Days, and it is a 10-book Prepper Fiction series, and it uh, it's different than a lot of other Prepper Fiction series. I mean, there are a lot of great series out there, but something that's different is I had never written fiction before, and uh, I didn't even read fiction, to be really honest. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing. I'm getting goosebumps. The goosebumps always come. And then I sat down, and I just had all this stuff in my head about uh, a guy who preps and has a lot of uh, a resistance from his wife and does it anyway and has a team of guys they're all real you've met them for goodness sakes you've shot with them you I know have, them yeah and um they they go to this this cabin and they form up a community and and they do good stuff and they help the community coalesce and fight off bad guys and there's and but it's very realistic there's no you know zombies and chainsaws and that kind of stuff and that's cool if you like that stuff I'm not knocking it I just Again, I have no imagination. A great example of that is Pow, who you've met. Yeah, and he's a character in my book, and and he's the six foot Korean gunfighter who sells insurance. And everyone thinks, "Oh, you're so Korean. That's clever." Nope, you met him. That's that's. The I guy, met right? him.
2: That's he's a real guy. Yeah. He's a yeah, real
3: exactly. guy. <laughs> exactly, actually sells insurance. And so th- there were all these people, uh, these great friends that I have, and amazing people I've met. And, uh, one of them is a green beret who's got a lot of amazing qualities about them. Anyway, so it was just this collection of people I know, and I sat down and wrote it, never expected it to be published. And that is kind of neat because the the writing, I have to say, I'm not bragging, I'm just differentiating myself from others. It's very authentic because it's me and my feelings, and I wasn't writing for an audience. I don't even know why I was writing this. I just couldn't stop. Yeah. And uh, 4,000 pages, and it was a little wow. bit of a project. So the crazy thing is, I spent two and a half years writing this, getting up at three in the morning, and writing and writing and writing, and I didn't even try to get a publishing contract. You know, I, I, I didn't even think of that. I know that sounds really crazy. And then the first publisher I sent it to said, "I'll never forget this." I was sitting in a car on a on a cell phone. He said, "You want a ten book deal?" And I said, "What in the heck?" Hmm? And, <laughs> and 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 it's taken off. Um, uh two hundred thousand copies out there it's on audible
1: wow. it's
3: I've told and I don't read Prepper fiction I don't keep up with the this you know i don't know the, that part of the popularity part of it but a lot of people, including sometimes told strangers, tell me that they've read the books i mean they, uh, uh, I, there was a two hundred ninety nine days book club in spokane for goodness sakes. I didn't even know about it until I met somebody so it's had a bit of an effect That's in neat. the prep, in the prepping world because it was this honest, um, no-comic-book sort of, you know, we're all SEALs and we all do cool stuff. I'm not a SEAL. I'm a lawyer. I'm just a suburban guy. I mean, you met me. I'm just a normal guy. <laughs> and that was what's missing in a lot of prepper fiction, the the normal guy perspective. So it turned out to my great surprise and delight, I might add, it turned out to be um pretty popular book series – and I can't even believe it. And um, but that's not my only thing. Um, you know, we're going to talk about guns and, and prepping, which is you know the main thing. But let's see. I did a little list of stuff in the past two years since we spoke. Yeah. So um,
2: fast forward all this time now, Glenn. And, and what's going yeah. on now with you?
3: Ooh, here we go. Um, I remarried uh, Shelby Gallagher is my wife now, and she's also a fiction a prepper fiction author, and her book series is called a Great state. It's a three book series, a great state. She and I have a, a podcast called prepping two and uh, that's prepping two 0com zero dot com and it's a it's a phenomenal fun thing, phenomenal in the sense of fun. We have amazing guests. We had Matt Bracken on last week. Mm. For sakes. And, um, we're going to have you on, by the way, I'm going to send you an email. We're going to have you on as a guest Talk about Carrie and anything else you want to talk about. Thank you. And uh, it's become now it's a syndicated radio show. I mean, what the heck? Um, and and so we do that, and 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 the whole idea of prepping 2.0, and and I'll probably get into this when we talk about prepping, is the 2.0 idea, and it goes like this, and you and me are are similar in this, um, and if and if I'm mischaracterizing you, correct me because I don't want to, but. I always describe it as this. It's election night 2008. We all are sitting there watching in horror as a socialist is elected president. That would be Barack Obama. (laughs) And we said, oh, my goodness, I'm going to go tomorrow to Costco or Sam's Club or whatever and buy some beans and rice. And that's prepping 1.0, which is I'm going to get some beans and rice, and I'm going to get an AR-15 and – And that's prepping 1.0, and everybody ought to do it, and I'm not knocking it. I don't mean to sound like, oh, that's a little baby step. No, it's a necessary first step, and I hope everyone listening has taken it or is going to take it like – when they get done listening to this show, right? They go out right. and do it. Yeah. Prep 2.0. And then we developed and we we started, you know, more food that we were preserving. We we were learning more about guns. We were getting proficient. You know, you've talked about you not having any proficiency in handguns and having a big, scary experience and then learning and learning and learning and taking a lot of classes and then progressing to the point where you were teaching, right?
2: Exactly what but I did, yeah.
3: It's the progression and and as you progress you realize you need your your at least your neighborhood i mean it might be a cul-de-sac it might be a country road it might be you know whatever it might be your extended family but the idea of community and having others and you need people in a prepping setting um you know to among other things just I don't know, do guard duty. I mean, they're 24 hours in a day. You can't do it all on your own. And so the the community idea, and then it, it becomes apparent as you as you progress in prepping that communications, simple radios, um, are very, very important. Um, water is important and, and all these things. So that's what prepping 2.0 is. We talk about that. And the other thing is all the, the new technology and how prices have come down on a, a lot of items. I guess I'm jumping into the prepping thing, but yeah, that's it, okay. that, that's what Prepping 2.0, the, the podcast, is about. But it's really about the guests, the amazing guests that we have. And then we have a, a Patreon after show for Patreons, and we do all kinds of fun stuff. Probably the, my favorite one is we have a little segment called Live or Die. And we for Patreons, we put a picture up of somebody that we pick at random, and then we ask people in a collapse if they're going to live or die. And the answers are absolutely hilarious. Oh, wow. And, i like, got
2: to participate in that.
3: <laughs> thought-provoking, too. that <laughs> The things that Patreons come up with, the questions they ask our guests, and then the live or die stuff, they, they really make the after show. Anyway, so then I have a radio show. I mean, goodness sakes, I didn't see that coming. No. Um, KHNC in Denver, and 1360KHNC.com. I have a Friday show, and it's all archived, and you can listen to it on the prepping2-0.com website. It's Glenn Tate's KHNC show, something like that is the tab. More books are coming. Um, really yeah, yeah, and they're not 299 days books. Um, uh, Shelby and I realized um, that food preservation was this whole system. It's like how you select food, how you preserve it, how you store it, how you inventory it, different kinds of foods, everything from MREs to gardening um, and everything in between, and then how you cook it, you know, on grid and off grid. It was like the food element of your preps, right? From start, from the thought in your mind to actually cleaning the dishes, right? Cool. And so we came up, we're going to do that book, nonfiction book. I'm not sure when it's coming out. We're going to be writing it in the spring and summer of this year, 2020. Um, and it's called, it's going to be called Food Preps 2.0. And that's the whole idea, start to finish. Because people, you know, we learned by experience. And you're probably in the same boat on this. It's like you learn um, vacuum sealing. You learn not to put too much in the bag. You learn, you know, this and that and, and oxygen yeah. absorber. And then we've come up with this inventorying system. There's this cool app out there called Sortly, by the way. And all these things we've learned over ten years, we, we're gonna write down and and let people gain from our experience because it's pretty critical. Um obviously now um this coronavirus thing is pretty serious. I, I wasn't it gonna say much it because I didn't wanna be his I didn't wanna be wrong. I mean, I didn't have the information, so I've been But as of today, actually, kind of a a dam has broken in my mind about the seriousness of this event based on people that – I have all these interesting friends all over the place that have interesting access to very – Interesting information. So, anyway, um, but anyway, that's the Food Preps 2.0 book that'll be coming out. So, um, that's been great. It's such a blast every week to do a show with Shelby and then to do uh, a book with her. And then the last thing, I know it's kind of long winded, but geez, there's been a lot going on in the past. Yeah, there
2: has been. There has been.
3: Is PAM Radio, P A M, and uh, that's Prepper Amateur Radio. And it's a set of free, free set of flashcards that are you know it's a phone app and it asks you a question you know what's better for long distance uh VHF or UHF and then you flip the card and it tells you the answer and him. the the purpose of this was number 1 I thought ham radio was this big hill to climb and it was like impossible I'm no good at math that's why I'm a lawyer right I mean yeah. that's why <laughs> People go into law because they're no good at math, and I I, didn't, I wasn't even interested in radios to be quite honest. I mean it was like, oh, geez, I understand how important it is. I better learn this. That's what it was. I better learn this, and then I just went and I just dug into it um, and watched about a 1,000 hours of YouTube and listened to podcasts and did all this stuff, and I figured out – what preppers need to know about ham radio. And then I figured out what they don't need to know and they don't need to know equations and they don't need to know circuits and they don't need to know about the ionosphere. They need to know how to talk, you know, with their neighborhood group or their team or whatever it is. So uh, it, there's a pattern emerging here. I just learned some stuff and wrote it down <laughs> Yeah. and it come, these flashcards. Um, the developer is supposed to get them to me um, this weekend, as a matter of fact. So by the time people hear this, maybe they're out. It's, the website is pam-radio.com pam-radio.com and you can reserve your free your free copy when the app comes out and it's going to teach you what you need to know it's great for handing out to your team or other people and saying if you spend, whatever, 38 minutes, I think, it's 140 flashcards, a lot of them go quickly, and it's kind of fun, and there's a lot of links in there to equipment to go ahead and get, so you don't have to do what I did, which is experiment and end up buying stuff that's no good. Yeah. Um Stuff that's counterfeit Chinese antennas that don't work and stuff. Nope. The links to the the genuine ones are in there. And so you can get your comms going and have the confidence with it and train people with it, and that's the whole idea of PAM Radio. So the books, 299 Days, just the beginning, and now it's become uh, so many other avenues to tell people about prepping and all that other stuff. And then, of course, guns. I love guns. I I can't get enough of them. Um,
2: my how far you've come! Wow, yes. since yeah. since the 299 days book series and and I think you know I'm gonna have to go back and and I'll probably put it in my show notes for this 500th episode. I think the first interview I did with you was probably 2014 or 2015. I think. Mm-hmm. And wow, in just five years or so, how far you've come! Your own radio show and everything. Congratulations, Glenn. Congratulations. Well, thank
3: you. It's 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 a passion and when you care about something and you want to get information out to people that yeah. they can use to either save their lives, save other people's lives or at least be more comfortable when bad stuff happens. It's it's very gratifying. And here's the other cool thing. I get to meet all kinds of cool people all over the country, really all over the world. You know, and you're one of them, right? I mean, I get in and, and I talked to you about this so the first time I came on your show, I said, "I remember listening to your show all the time." And then I'm talking to you, right, <laughs> in waste, but it's like not coming through, you know, the iTunes, right? It's yeah. coming through the phone or whatever.
2: The phone or and Skype about, or whatever, yeah.
3: Yeah that's the best thing is all the amazing people I've met and, and that's been great. So a lot has happened and it's been, it's been a great ride and I feel really, I don't know, so much better off um, than I was 10 years ago, you know, prepping wise and, and in a variety of other aspects. So it's been a good 10 years, a lot of work, kind of like producing oh, yeah. 500, 500 episodes of a podcast, right? It's a lot of work.
2: Oh, people but don't been, realize it, how much work that is. They just don't realize it. Uh, You know, for every hour that I do on this podcast, it probably takes about two and a half to three hours of work. Yep. That's about right. And and that's not just, that's not including the thought time. You know, there's thought time as well. In between podcasts, so you know, I'm I'm thinking to myself, okay, what am I going to talk about in the next one? What's most important? Okay, I got these five ideas I want to talk about. Which one of these is the most important right now? So all that all that mental space it takes up in your mind, there's a lot going on there. You probably realize that, haven't you?
3: Oh yeah, show preps a, a big deal, and constantly um, staying informed because mm-hmm. you need to for a show. That's especially true of a of a radio show. Um and but, I mean, I love doing it, and that 's the thing you love doing it and yeah. everybody that's that 's in this community of ours, whatever it is, the two a prepping i don 't know community, we love doing it, and we love sharing information because that 's the kind of people we are you know we 're not like like the i don 't know the the depressed, sad, frowny socialist that no. seem to be on the other side, the dependent entitled people we're just the opposite of all that and we love giving out information so it's a joy it's an absolute joy i'm getting fired up just talking to you right now <laughs>
2: <laughs> well that's great so so congratulations once again so let's let's uh shift gears a little bit and um let's get into some gun talk and things what uh, you know you mentioned me uh offline before we started this this conversation that you think we're kind of like in the the golden age uh, of of gun handguns and also long guns. Everything I've heard a lot of people in the uh, in the uh, the firearms industry say that. What's your take on that?
3: Absolutely, um, I think we are. Um, <laughs> I remember. Let's go back ten years. Uh, ten years ago, if you wanted to carry a concealed pistol, the world was a different place. First of all, there were a bunch of states ten years ago that didn't allow it. Number that's one, right. and that's been a good change. There were I. I don't know if there were any states 10 years ago that were constitutional carry, maybe Alaska or something like that. But now there's several constitutional carry states, which is great. The the number of holsters, uh, mag oh, pouches, yeah. all the stuff, how far we've come. I mean, just I, I look back at you know my first couple guns and and the the accessories I had that were like state of the art back then. And now now they just wouldn't cut it. So and and it's a combination of things. It's technological advances. Um speaking of holsters, kydex is the wonderful, you know, material of of space age. It's just fabulous, Isn't right? That and that's the that was, truth. I remember ten years ago, this 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 is funny. If you wanted a a Kydex, a cool Kydex holster, it was Raven Concealment, and it took eight months for it to come, and it was $150 because they made them by hand, and they had such huge demand. And now you can get cool Kydex holsters all over the place, Um, but guns in particular. um, The technology – and I don't know if it's like brand-new technology. It's not like they have you know cartridges that are powered with bubble gum or something like that. I mean (laughs) the physics haven't changed, but – Think of all the cool concealed carry guns. Every gun manufacturer has a number of mind-blowingly awesome handguns. I don't know of any bad handguns out there, and I don't think you could say that ten years ago. And I'm not going to get into brands. And well, you're right. Rent. Yeah,
2: yeah. You couldn't say that ten years ago, and in fact, you know, it's, I'm glad you brought up ten years ago because it was about ten years ago when I started this podcast. It was the summer of 2009. Uh, oh, wow. I can't even do simple math. That's more than 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah. So it's coming close to 11 years ago, but I I know what you say, Glenn, cuz I remember, I remember you're right. Raven Concealment was like that was the hottest greatest holster and the waiting time was was insane. And I'm not trying to, you know, diminish the people at Raven Concealment. I'm just saying they yeah, that's the way it was and the technology was not even close to what it is. Just eleven short years later.
3: Oh, exactly. You know, and here's something and else. It's not just the technology, but it's all gun manufacturers because it's so competitive. Because why? Because everybody and their dog is carrying concealed now. The number yeah. of people carrying concealed. I don't have statistics, but I know it's multiples, double, triple. I'll I'll just oh, say yeah. something crazy like that of more people. So all the gun manufacturers have to put. On their a game, and let's pick on Glock for a moment. I'm a Glock guy, I love Glocks. So am I. Um, but ten years ago, you know, there was there were like I don't know whatever uh, one or two models of Glocks in quite a few calibers. They were all double stack magazines. Now, now look at this Glock single stack. I carry a 43x and absolutely love it. I have mm-hmm. the Shield Arms 15 round magazines that are flush. Oh, I'm even jealous. Glock made them at ten, and aftermarket shield uh, made them at fifteen. And I've function tested it, and it works great. Highly recommended. Uh, two mags, two extra mags. That means I'm carrying forty-five plus one in the chamber, forty-six Ooh. rounds. Wow! But now, now Glock has a single stack. Um, uh, several, actually, single stack. Guns. and here's the thing I never thought I'd see. Oh, can you hear the angels sing? Glock made a 22 long rifle.
2: Of yes, course. Yes, that's right. That's right. We were
3: all waiting for remember the $350, you know, um probably uh, uh CMG or something um inserts that you had to put uh, like a special slide on your Glock to
2: shoot. I have 22. one. I have yeah, one. Yeah, they're um, great. It's an Advantage Arms, it's a complete upper. It's a 22 conversion. Yeah. It converted my my Glock 19 into a 22. Yeah. yeah, I still have you know, one. I, I bought it a long time ago.
3: And now you can just buy a Glock in 22 yeah, and can train buy, with yeah. that. And think about ammunition, especially defensive ammunition. Oh, yeah. Um, huge advan- advances. I mean, you know, boy, I'll tell you what, 10 years ago, 380 Auto, it's like getting, you know, it's like a bee sting. You're like, ouch, did you just shoot me? I can't really tell. <laughs> um, and now, you know, 380 Auto is. Potent nine millimeter has has ruled the world um and it's it's just amazing the ammunition that's coming out and the other cool thing about ammunition in this golden age of guns and ammo is the availability and the prices and i know it's never going to be as cheap as it was like yesteryear i remember as a kid going to the hardware store and buying a box of 22 shells for a dollar or 50 cents or whatever they were we're not talking that but we all remember the, gu- the gun scares and the ammo scares. When oh, yes. I, I went two years without buying 22 long rifle because it wasn't in my area, and you that's couldn't a pretty find large, it, could you? Arts metropolitan area couldn't find it, and it was like, hey, I heard they have you know a brick of 22 for sixty five dollars, and everybody runs out and gets some. Um, now you know the, the availability and the prices are down. Um, 22 long rifle, I'm, I'm staring at. at uh, a case of it so what is that that's 10 bricks just came today uh and it was with delivery and sales tax where i live it was less than five cents around that was unheard of in the past. yeah and so it's the golden age and so what does that mean number one enjoy it and 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 be thankful and utilize the new technology and all the cool selection and prices have not gone up on guns and no, in they a lot of ways not come down a little bit and they've come down on ammunition from the sandy hook scares so there's that but the other um the other cool thing about ammunition um i lost my train of thought oh no get it now i mean and don't go nuts don't go into debt yeah we, we we had this conversation on one of the shows when i was on your show um don't go into debt or anything and certainly don't Break laws and get like, you know, don't solve shotguns and do dumb things like that because you don't need to. Get a TAC 14. Boom. Yes. Right? Or (laughs) or a shockwave. There's a great example. Mossford
2: shockwave, yes.
3: Of technology slash prices. I mean, a, a Tac 14. I'm a big fan, and Shockwaves are great too. Tac 14 is what 350 bucks, maybe 300 bucks now. And you would have you would have drooled over that thing 10 years ago and thought, oh my goodness, you would have needed a tax stamp. It was illegal in most states because it was a quote short-barreled shotgun. Blah 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 blah. All this stuff. We've come so far. Oh, that's another thing. Pistol braces. And not oh, having to yeah get
2: that's an right s
3: b r yeah, an s b r uh stamp now you know the pistol braces have made pistols pretty awesome. I'll leave it at that, and um, so there this is the time, i mean stock up now, and this isn't like you know, go freak out or anything, but doggone it, ammunition will never be cheaper than it is now. Guns will never be cheaper and more available than they are now. They don't spoil. It's not like you're buying, you know, a gallon of milk, right? I mean, it's not, and they don't take up a lot of space and mice don't eat it, right? And so you got a million reasons to have this stuff. It could come in pretty doggone handy if stuff breaks down. So it's a golden age, and and I, I look at like the threats and, and the, and to this country and the bad things that can happen, and and won't go into that because, I mean, everybody knows what I'm talking about, and yet – so there's kind of badness, scariness on the horizon. However, um, we are provided – I think God has a hand in it. Well, I think God controls the universe. I shouldn't just say he has a hand in it, but anyway – we we've been put in this position where those who want to prepare, those who want to be armed, those who want to be trained and well supplied, it's never been easier. It's never been cheaper. It never has been
2: easier. That's right. It's
3: never been easier or cheaper as we head straight into perhaps the scariest times. Um, and so you just have to say, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? You know, uh, good handgun, obviously good long gun, all that other stuff. Um, Food and water and and calms and all these other things. Get to know your neighbors. It's you've been given this 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 short reprieve from bad stuff that's going to happen, and you definitely need to take advantage of it because it could save your life, could save your family's life, could save your neighborhood's life, uh, your region, your county. Heck, yeah. You know, it's, the stakes are high. The yeah. stakes are high.
2: And, and and I'm glad you brought that up, because I think it's coming back. You know, the bad stuff's coming back. Uh-huh. It's going to come back. And it is the golden age. We're enjoying it right now. It's funny. I remember when I first started doing this show a little over 10 years ago, when you mentioned that there were states out there that didn't allow concealed carry. My home state of Wisconsin was one of them. Yeah. And I, rem- I remember talking about that on on my show in the early days. You know, I was basically calling on my home state to get their act together and approve concealed carry. You know, pass it. Well, now they've done that. And um, even if you even if you look at look at all the striker fired guns, Glenn, that we've had oh, in the last ten or eleven years. When I first started my journey into the shooting world, it was two thousand and five. So, you know, 15 years ago. Wow. Yeah, and the only, really the only, you know, really super popular striker-fired guns, of course, you know, Glock was major. m and P, Smith & Wesson M&Ps were kind of new. They were pretty much in, I think in 05 and 06, they were pretty new. Um, And the Springfield XDs, and that was about it. You know, you had your... Mm You had the H&Ks, which had been around there a long time. Um, The the whole idea of Sig making a striker-fired gun back (laughs) when I started doing this podcast was like people would think that you were absolutely nuts. Sig would never do that. Now look. Now look at where (laughs) we're at. So it really really is amazing. I'm glad you decided to talk about the Golden Age because it really is.
3: Yeah, and I look at my my gun safe now, and it's sort of like uh, little milestones, little times, you know, uh, different eras and everything. And uh-huh. you almost can see the progression of of technology. You know, two thousand ten, I want to say. I'm sure somebody will correct me on the date. LCPs come out.
2: LCPs, yeah,
3: yeah. Ruger sold. I'm told. I believe this to be true. Sixty five thousand. They took orders for sixty five thousand in one day when they came out at SHOT Show 2010 or whatever it was. Now fast forward, LCP-2s, all the great, the amazing Ruger pistols that didn't exist back then. Didn't exist, that's right. I mean, for goodness sakes, Remington has handguns now. I've not shot them. I don't know anything about them. I don't know. They seem to work just fine. I've never heard anyone say otherwise. So you've got Mossberg, for goodness sakes, has handguns. Yes,
2: a good one, too. they got a real good one. You know, let's talk about ammunition. You brought that up yeah. before. Um, you know, when I first started doing this podcast, and even when I first started shooting, forty five ACP and forty caliber were still big, big, popular, popular cartridges. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you said, now everything's 9mm. I mean, find a manufacturer that introduces a new gun in forty five. I mean, they just don't anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, they introduce all their new stuff now in 9mm, right? Sure, and look at the prices and everything, and it's like, not that a forty-five or a forty's not any good, but you know, look at the popularity of those; it's it's really gone down.
3: Yeah, absolutely, and and kind of too bad. I mean, I I don't hate Uh, forty, although it's snappy. I I have a Glock twenty-seven, and I hadn't shot it in about five or six years. And, you know, it's a small, I think it's subcompact, it's fair to say.
0: Uh-huh.
3: And even with, you know, uh, Talon grips on it and everything, and I was shooting that, and after about eight rounds, I said, I really don't enjoy shooting this. Um, but, yeah, um, they're it, no fun it, to shoot. Yeah, but I'm, I'm used to 9mm, but, yeah, I mean, that was, that was a really important gun 10 years ago. Yes, it um, was. And... And now there's a bunch of better alternatives, and that's awesome, better alternatives. yay! And another thing, and I just thought of this when it comes to better alternatives, thinking of sort of sizes of guns and recoil. I think it is fantastic that multiples more women are in the shooting sports and are concealed carry. I don't even know what the numbers are, but it has to be, I'm going to make it something up, I don't know, 10 times more than it used to be probably. Probably
2: is 10 times more, yeah.
3: And just anecdotally, I mean I just i you know i i female acquaintances and it's it's not weird that they shoot anymore, you know what I mean? It's like, no, oh, yeah, I it. got a gun, and it's pretty cool, and it's fun, and I like to go out shooting with my husband or whatever or boyfriend or something it's it's like a normal thing, it's like fishing right it's it's like fishing and um uh, and so yeah, its super cool to see so many women, and even on occasion, I love seeing this. Um, women who will sort of drag their husbands into the shooting sport. You know what <laughs> I mean? And I love yeah, seeing that. True. That makes me that's happy. <laughs> I mean, the, the best idea wins. And if the lady has the best idea, then it's the best idea. So um, that's been really cool to see. So it's it's it turned out better than I thought it would 10 years ago. Yeah. It was kind of a depressing time 10 years ago. And now, while there are challenges ahead, no question, I just feel like we're all able to meet these challenges much much better and there's a community that's another thing the the 2a and prepping community 10 years ago it, there were there were a couple online forums
2: and that yeah, was pretty not legit. very many
3: now yeah not very many and now my goodness the youtube channels the
2: podcasts oh yeah yeah
3: uh, it, it's a mainstream thing. Yeah, and podcasts.
2: I mean, let's yeah. let's talk about podcasts. When I started yeah. this one in 2009, there were really only about maybe maybe 9 or 10 that were that were realistic, viable podcasts, you know? Yeah. And I never thought I was going to make it. I thought, "Okay, there's there's these, you know, 9 or 10 that everybody listen to. I'm going to throw my two cents in there and I'm just going to see if I can grab some listeners." Now, now what if you, if you if you search gun podcasts you're probably going to get 2 or 300 of them.
3: Oh yeah. And a lot of them are really good too. They're all I good. Mean, well, Almost all of well them. Well produced. Good. Yeah, yeah, well produced and continually produced. That's the thing about a podcast. You have to do one, you know, every week and people take time off. You had a pretty good reason to take some time off for example. Yeah, I did. <laughs> and and uh um and they're continually produced, and they have cool guests, and and, and it, there's so much to talk about, too. That's the thing. Yeah. Gun Podcasts, I mean, it used to be SHOT Show was the time where you had an hour's worth of new stuff to talk about. You probably have an hour's worth of new gun stuff to talk about every single week now. Oh, absolutely. Just like
2: absolutely. Uh,
3: pick any week at random. There's going to be some amazing release of something cool. Um and yeah, the podcasts have taken off, and so we can learn stuff. I, I tell people I have a master's degree from the University of YouTube, right?
0: <laughs> and I've learned That's so cute.
3: much. I didn't know anything about electricity. Now I can almost keep up in a conversation about it. I mean, um, so many things uh, you can learn on there. And 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 yeah, YouTube existed ten years ago. I don't know. I have. I don't have the statistics, but I bet you the kind of YouTube. Um, uh episodes or whatever that that you and I and everyone listening would be interested in have probably gone up, you know, a hundredfold.
2: Oh sure, yeah. Past yeah, years. there's probably absolutely. I would say a, a multiple of a hundred, yes. Absolutely. And uh it's it's really cool. It's 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 kind of neat reminiscing with you about all this stuff because ah. um you know, when I first started concealed carrying, uh, I got my first license in 2005. The coolest, neatest, hottest, single-stack 9mm, wait for it, hmm. was a Car PM9.
0: <laughs>
2: and I had to wow. run out and buy one, and I did. And yeah. I went out and dropped about 600 bucks on a Car PM9 way back then. I think it was like 06 or 07. Yep. And uh, and now look, like you were talking about your, <clears throat> your Glock 43X. I love mine. I have the 48 also. Um, yep. I, I I got a Sig P three sixty five. I love that thing. Oh yeah, and um, you know, they're just uh, there's just so much good stuff out there.
3: Yeah, and the cool thing is a Car PM nine. is still a great gun. It's just it there's like ten other cool guns. <laughs> More <laughs> than
2: that, 20, 20, yeah. 20 of them out there that uh. are just as cool, just as good, and um, yeah, it's good reminiscing with you about all this. So. <laughs> Let's, let's close this, um, the, yeah. this interview. Why don't you spend five minutes talking about talking about how has and, and keep it you – and know, keep it down to about four or five minutes. How has the prepping world changed in the last 10 or 11 years?
3: Well, everything we've been saying about guns is also true about the prepping world as far as new products, prices coming down, information being out there, podcasts being out there, everything – applies to that. And just like with guns, the reason that is happening is that there's a market for it. Uh, Just like there's been a huge increase in the number of people, let's say concealed carrying and shooting recreationally and three gun and all the other stuff. There's been a similar rise, uh, market, pool of money for people to sell to, right, of, Mm -hmm. of preppers. It's become far more mainstream i still don't think it's really mainstream but then don't forget i live in western washington right and so i'm you know if i lived in utah it's probably a lot more mainstream or texas or something texas, like that yeah but um so my my thing's a little skewed and by the way now that uh shelby and i are married we live in very very rural uh washington state and it's not olympia anymore thank goodness that town is just it's it's an Antifa garbage hole right now, oh, but anyway, goodness, yeah. I, I digress, but as far as what's changed, a lot of the same trends, I think the – as with guns, I think the gun trends and the prepping trends, it's not a coincidence that they have moved in exactly the same direction at exactly the same speed because often they're the same people, right? I mean yes. preppers gun owners are, are often the same people, and so, boy, um, what's changed um, – I think communications I will just mention the the uh invention, the propagation, no pun intended, of of uh Beofang radios has been a great thing. There's a ton of other great radios. Um but you know, you can get a ten pack of these things for hundred and ninety six dollars on Amazon. Wow. It comes to your and and they work great I mean no you can't go mountain climbing with them and all And if you're jumping out of a you know helicopter doing special operation stuff that and that's not me by the way I'm just a regular guy <laughs> but they're probably not the best but anyway that's been something um, I think people understanding the importance of communications and the the best way to do that is to be preferably with a team or a mutual assistance group get radios and start moving and realize what you can do and how much better you can do it and how <laughs> the unfair advantage <laughs> that mm-hmm. you have
1: yeah. using
3: them. And um, so that's been a big thing. Um, I just think there's more of a a market. I think that there's more information about it. Um, and so it it really parallels the gun stuff we were talking about. So it's pretty easy to keep that topic to a few minutes because it's basically already been covered with the
2: gun stuff. Pretty but, much already covered it, yeah.
3: Yeah, but thank oh. goodness. Yeah, yeah that the prepping stuff is is far more common now and far easier to do. And, and I'm so are, glad you, to
2: see it's more common.
3: Yeah, people are prepping deeper. You know the the beans and the AR-15 ten years ago is now you know a bunch. It's it's uh, home freeze dryers for goodness sakes. Mm-hmm. Can you believe that Harvest Right? You know three thousand dollars. It's amazing. Uh, we have one and it's just fabulous. Um, and people are prepping deeper and getting ready for more and more, and they're networking. That's the other thing that's been going on. They're in networking,
2: the past. yes.
3: And just people meeting other people. Um, there's a there's a friend of mine, Forrest Garvin, who runs PrepperNet, and it's a I jokingly call it the Match.com for preppers, but it's not a romance thing. It's you put in your zip code and it tells you all the other people in your zip code. Oh, cool. who – cool. Who have signed up, and then you can send an email. To, you can handle it any way you want. It's all anonymous. Nobody knows who you are, and you don't have – you can use fake names and all this other stuff. And so, yeah, PrepperNet.com, um, good friend of ours, and that is a, a thing and similar things, although PrepperNet kind of rules that like space, I guess, when it comes to the Prepper <laughs> yeah. matchmaking. But And again, it's not romance. I just – I don't know how else to describe it. Um, that's
2: a good description. That's a good way. To, a good analogy for it.
3: Because the software is just like the dating stuff. It's just – and by the way, you may end up, I don't know, dating a prepper. Who knows? That would be cool. That's kind of what happened to me. It yeah. wasn't prepper. Ed. It was something else. But anyway, um, so that's been cool, people getting together uh, that way, and people are less afraid to admit they're preppers now, and that means they're networking more. So it's all really good. A lot of good people who have good values and are good, decent, traditional Americans are are going to be better off in what's coming, and good people are going to stand a better chance of making it, and that makes me happy.
2: Awesome. Yeah, it makes me happy too. Glenn, thanks so much for, for being one of my guests here on uh, on my 500th episode. It's uh it's great to have you back.
3: Oh, thank you. It's been a blast. We have to do this more often. We're going to get you on Prepping 2.0 for sure.
2: I'm honored. I'm honored that you invited me to do that. I will be there. And, uh, yeah, let's do more interviews. Let's not take about a two-year break again.
3: No, no, that's a bad <laughs> idea. That's right. Well, I, how about this? We'll for sure do the 1,000th episode for sure. Oh,
2: my goodness. The thousand, well, you've given me a lofty goal there. <laughs> um, I'm going to have to start putting them out more than once every two weeks. I might, I might later this year start getting back to the weekly. I'm not sure yet, but uh, okay, you can be my guest on the 1,000th episode. How's that?
0: <laughs>
3: no, uh, great, something to shoot for. No pun intended.
2: <laughs> Glenn Tate, <laughs> thanks for coming back on. I really appreciate it. It's been a great pleasure.
3: My my pleasure. Thank you so much, and and hello to the whole handgun
2: world. World. <laughs> <laughs> have a good one. Well, many thanks, Glenn. That's some really awesome stuff there. I appreciate that. Start reading the book series, 299 Days, if you have not. And there'll be links in the show notes on how to get his books. Uh, Just search 299 Days on Amazon. You'll find them. Please use my Amazon store, by the way, if you're going to buy his books on Amazon or anything on Amazon. You help support... The handgun world podcast that way, and uh, you know folks, if you want me to keep on going for a couple hundred more episodes at least past this one uh support me folks i n- I need some support okay uh, and financial support because it does take money to do this so there's a couple ways you can do that you can you can buy your whenever you whenever you shop on Amazon for all your survival supplies right now, right go to amazon uh go to the Amazon store at handgun world dot com first go to handgunworld.com click the Amazon store then go ahead and make your purchases and log into your account your prime account whatever it is that you're doing that would be one way the other is joining the shooters club I'm gonna put in some I'm gonna be putting some more videos up on the shooters club pretty soon and uh, and some audio podcasts and things like that there is over eighty right now so you know for only eight dollars a month you can you can source and listen and watch while you're quarantined right now some really Good instructional videos on shooting and even we even talk about some good survival common sense survival and preparedness stuff Ben Branham and I talked a lot about that in several of the audio podcasts and the video podcasts at ShootersClubMembers.com that's ShootersClubMembers.com $8 a month you can save if you buy a one year membership $75 per year So for the rest of this episode, I'm just going to play the next two interviews back-to-back. Steve Zofi is next, and then Lloyd Bailey finishes out episode 500A. And I I really think you're going to enjoy him. So I'll have some comments to make after the next two interviews. Enjoy. Well, folks, my next guest, it would not be episode 500, and and I couldn't do this show unless I had my next guest on, because he was one of the first, if not the first, people that I ever interviewed, back when I was a rookie at interviewing people. Let me welcome back to the sh-
1: back to the show Steve Zofi.
2: Steve, hey, how you Thank- doing?
1: Thank you. Excellent, Bob. How are you doing?
2: I, I'm great. I'm great. I, I, I want to give a little background to people who are kind of new listeners. Um, Steve and I pretty much kind of... Uh, kind of started we were talking about Brian Enos's great book called Practical Shooting Beyond Fundamentals. Uh I I got that right.
1: Right, Steve? That's correct. Yeah, you got the book okay. right.
2: And I was going back through my old episodes before we started, and I realized it was like late two thousand and ten, about ten years ago when we started doing this.
1: That sounds about right. Unbelievable.
2: Yeah. Unbelievable.
1: Yeah. And at wise. that
2: time you yeah, at that time you were you were heavily into USPSA pistol shooting. I think you're a grandmaster, aren't you?
1: I was 2% points from making grandmaster when I walked away from it roughly in 2012. Yeah. Okay.
2: Okay. And I had a chance to meet you in person. We shot together at a at a blistering hot double tap. match, double tap championship in uh in Texas, and it was in Wichita Falls. What a... Wichita
1: Falls, and that probably was around 2010 or 2011 now that you mentioned that. I think yeah. it was I, and around... it's around, funny because yeah. I remember that trip. Yeah, and, and in fact, I mentioned to my wife that I was um, going to be doing this interview with you, and she said, oh, that's great. I remember, remember Bob very well and always enjoyed um, him and his company. and I remember that night that we all went out for dinner that one time down That's there, right, so, yeah. yeah. So she says to tell you hello, too, Bob.
2: Well, yeah, that's great. <laughs> tell, tell her I did, too. And you came down with Rick Brenneman. And, uh, right. Yeah. You, yeah. He That's shot correct. that yeah, yeah. That was, yeah. um, and, and one of the most distinctly, uh, noticeable things that I remembered about you, Steve, is that I was really envious of a g- awesome STI that you shot. <laughs> and it was great. Do you still have that?
1: I still have it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, when I, when I, I, I mentioned this before. And I, I mean, I've talked about it before in our program. Um, but when I decided to, I'm going to call it take a pause or take a break or whatever from USPSA shooting, I walked away from it early enough before I completely burned out on it to to the point that I can say that if I ever wanted to come back and do this, I could come back and do it. So I kept all my gear and all my race gear and all my guns and everything like that. So I could go back and reenter USPSA at any given time with, with the equipment that I was using Um I don't know how competitive it would be. I really haven't followed, you know, USPSA yeah. in terms of high tech these days. But I'm I'm fairly confident that the gun would still be competitive. I don't know if I would be competitive, but I'm sure the gun would still be. competitive. Oh, I'm sure
2: it would come back to you pretty quickly. I'm sure. It well, the will.
1: problem is I'm also ten years older now than I was back then. That so, makes I mean, a difference. I mean, back then I was pushing fifty. Now I'm pushing sixty. So yeah, that makes yeah. a difference. Yeah, it does. That
2: makes a huge difference. We're about the same age. And uh, it is a big difference. Ten years, when you get to where we are, ten years makes a big
1: difference. It does, yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, now, um, one of the cool things, one of the cool things is not too long after you and I started interviewing on the Handgun World podcast, you went off and started your own video podcast, which was an awesome show. People might not... Well, I hope they remember the Power Factor show.
1: Yeah, it's kind of funny because doing the interviews with you, I think um, Loke, who was the producer of Power Factor, picked up on that. And he knew that Rick and I were doing this thing that we called um, Ipsic 101, which was kind of like a beginning and free class to USPSA or Ipsic shooting. And after hearing the interviews that you and I had done and – Um, and the classes that Rick and I were doing, he kind of got the idea for doing Power Factor, and yeah, so and the kind of unique thing about Power Factor in terms of what the niche it kind of filled is I think it was the first, you know, video oriented, um, shooting podcast, so to speak, or podcast, whatever they wanted to conveniently call it. Um, I thought it was a cool
2: concept, I really thought it was really neat. And, uh, and I'm glad it was successful. How many, how many episodes did you guys do at Powerful?
1: I don't know the exact number. I know we did roughly six years worth About six of years, programs. Yeah. So it was probably, we were doing, you know, one every weekend. So if you do the math, um, it was around 360-some, give or take, interviews. So or that's episodes. really cool. Yeah.
2: That's yeah. really cool. Well, I want to ask you some, some leading questions. And um, first of all, first of all, let's roll the tape all the way back to 2010. And what kind of an effect do you think that Brian Enos's book has had on the shooting sports today?
1: Um, you know, it's interesting because I'm not sure the new shooters that are coming into, you know, USPSA, IPSC type IDPA shooting really appreciate um, the book um, that I think I did or you and I did back in the day, 10 years ago. Yeah. I wouldn't say that it's dated, um, at all, because the concepts all still apply, but I just don't think they're, you know, with with the advent now of the internet and everything like that, people go off and they look for information in different locations than yeah, reading they do. books. They do. Um, yeah. They do. But,
2: but, but but I want people then to remember, it, it's, it's called Practical Shooting Beyond Fundamentals by Brian Enos. And uh, it's a fantastic book still today, I think.
1: It is. But, but one of the challenges I think I told you... And the reason that we kind of did the series that we did is that it literally took me five times reading that book cover to cover to really begin to get what Brian was talking about.
2: I remember you Uh, said
1: that. I think the first three times I read it, it's kind of like, I have no clue what he's talking about. And around the third time, it's like, okay, I think I'm beginning to get it. And the fourth is like, I might be understanding it. And the fifth time was, okay, I got it. I got it. But it was not really, the way it was written, and a lot of it gets into the mental side of things. And and that's kind of a difficult subject for a lot of people to comprehend. Um, But yeah, it, it really kind of looked at shooting from a different angle that I think most people were comfortable with. I mean, those, most people, I think, are just looking for, okay, well, how do I shoot? You know, you line the sides, pull the trigger, it goes bang, and that's shooting. But Brian looked it at there, it from a, exactly, looked at it from a different angle, from the mental side set of things. And that, to me, was really, I, I then began to really understood about how powerful that part was. And then once I started understanding that, I realized that was the place to start exploring, um, you know, to go to the next step beyond. <laughs>
2: Yeah,
0: no pun intended.
1: Um, Right, right, exactly. Well,
2: that's great. So i got to ask you this question. Do you miss pistol shooting?
1: Um, Honestly, no. No? Okay. (laughs) All right. No. I mean, it's kind of funny. So uh, just to give a a high-level overview, um, after doing USPSA shooting for 20 years and getting to the level or point that I was at, um, I was a couple like I mentioned, a couple percentage points are making grandmaster in limited division. And it was literally, I mean, I was shooting club matches every single weekend, except for one week in a month. I was at the range frequently practicing
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I was on the, um, the Northwest section, um, board, um, serving as a secretary for that. So, the, and what that basically was is coordinating the shoots for the different various clubs and activities and whatnot. Um, I acted as the range master for a large, um, shoot here, basically a section championship, if you will,
0: mm-hmm. within
1: the section or our section. Um, I was doing a lot of stuff, pushing myself pretty hard and it started feeling like a job and, and I realized I just wasn't really having fun doing that anymore. And I, and I just thought, you know, if I continue doing this, I'm going to get to the point that I'm just going to hate it. So I decided to walk away from it. And thought, well, I want to do something continuing still in shooting and decided to go back to sort of my roots, was, which was shotgun shooting. Um, and that's the direction I took off in. And I can tell you that I'm, I'm – and that's been now, what, eight years ago?
2: Eight years. Yeah.
1: Um, and I have had so much fun doing that. And it's kind of a new learning experience all over again. I remember, you know, the, the 20 years that it took me to figure out competitive pistol shooting – I'm now sort of like in the same journey all over again, but in a, you know, a different venue, so to speak. Um, so it's a, a learning thing all over, and I'm really having fun with doing that. Um, Good. Glad to hear. And and the thing is, is that, again, it starts becoming all mental. It's just kind of like the whole entire thing with with, you know, pistol shooting is that with shotgun shooting, it's even more mental than pistol shooting. But the trick there is, is to n- not think while you're shooting, mm-hmm. but analyze everything before shooting. And and it's very tricky to do that. Um, for a lot of people, they don't analyze the part of up until shooting. Um, and I think that's part of part of what I can use that or tap that part and excel at what I'm doing right now. But the trick then is to um, to not be thinking while you're shooting, because if you're thinking while you're shooting, then your mind starts getting in the way of letting the subconscious run. This yeah. is starting to sound a lot like the Brian Eno system. <laughs> <laughs> <we're having laughs> it, is, anyway. it is, yeah. isn't it? And yeah. the interesting yeah.
2: thing the interesting thing about what you just said, Steve, is um, after after you kind of walked away from pistol shooting, uh, I think two, three, four years went by, and I invited you to come back on the show to talk about a subject, and we did it back, I'm looking at my computer now, we did it back in December of 2017 called Avoiding Burnout. Mm-hmm. And you gave me some really, really good ideas. I was not getting burned out
1: on shooting.
2: What I was getting burned out on was doing this podcast.
1: Podcasting.
2: And you, uh, I, I want to invite people to go back and listen to that. It's episode 441, and I'll put a link in the show notes. Because one of the things that you encouraged me to do, and I've got to thank you for it. You encouraged me to change things up a bit and kind of reinvent a different format and a different style. And, um, instead of walking away from the podcast, I just decided to change things out and I got to thank you. It helped a lot.
1: Yeah. That's kind of the same thing. I mean, I did similar to what I, you know, my journey is that rather than walking away from shooting entirely because I was getting burned out and I just decided to change things up a bit. And in my Mm -hmm. case, changing things up a bit was going from pistol shooting to to shotgun shooting. Yeah. In your case, I think a lot of it you were trying to do, you know, an episode every week and, again, it starts becoming a job uh, for what you're doing. And I think the idea of, of doing it every other week um, and, and changing your content a little bit, I think, it kind of like put the spark back in it for you, so to speak. It did, and, and yeah, it did yeah. yeah.
2: And it lifted the burden from it being like a job to back to being something fun and a hobby again.
1: And that's the key thing, is that if you're not having fun doing it, then don't do it. And right. if, if you get to the point that you're having fun doing it, then you know, it makes it all that much more enjoyable.
2: Yeah, so, right. and I have, to, I have to admire people. I mean, there are people in radio land and podcast land that are like on their 1,000th or 1,200th episode, and they've been doing it consistently every week for 15, 17, 18 years. I'm just I'm shocked by that. That's
1: great. That's well, amazing. you know, Bob, I, when I was mentioning you before, and I probably should say it right now, congratulations on 500 episodes. Thank I, you. I don't I know anybody who's done that, but you mentioned that there probably have been a couple, but it wasn't one person's podcast. It was usually a collaborative event of multiple people. Well, or it's um, some
2: people who are in professional radio have done that, like um, Michael Bain at Downrange Radio has done well over 500. Yeah, they don't
1: count. <laughs> yeah, and, and Tom
2: Gresham's Gun Tom Talk Gresham, and all yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah but they're in they're they're in professional radio and media and um but uh I want to give some credit to my friends over at polite society podcast they they're well over 500 um there's a group of people over there that do that and sometimes it's just a couple of them but thank you I appreciate that Steve
1: yeah that's quite the accomplishment I appreciate honestly. it yeah it's yeah. um
2: and it's a daunting task to try to come up with material and something different every podcast so that one of the challenges I've had is not to sound repetitive.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, you know It's kind of <laughs> funny because the same thing somewhat happened when we did Power Factor. We we'll thought, well, we'll go through, we'll do a, a bunch of episodes on basic fundamentals. And after we do that, it's like, okay, then what are we going to do?
0: <laughs> yeah, know, then what? That,
1: right, right. And and it's kind of funny because we came up with different ideas um, throughout the program. And then when I started getting involved in, in shotgun shooting, at least that kind of opened up another venue for – at least a discussion to the program, which was kind of funny because in the beginning, when I started doing shotgun-related episodes, um, a lot of our viewers <laughs> didn't like that, and we were getting emails like, "I don't want to see any more shotgun episodes. I want to see stuff on pistols." And <laughs> you know, and then toward the end, when we were planning on you know quitting or whatever, we started getting like, "I want to see more shotgun." More
2: shotgun. Yeah. That's yeah it was
1: like, "Okay, this is completely gone." You know, 180 degrees to the point that even the, the low was suggesting maybe just doing. Uh shotgun centric version of Power Factor, just to cover that segment of the audience um,
2: well yeah you know. and and I have to tell you, Steve, when we first started talking about Brian's book, the first couple of interviews i i didn't I didn't get a lot of feedback from listeners. I normally get you know two three emails and 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 stuff like that for every episode, and I'm thinking. Oh man, maybe people are bored with this stuff. And by the time we got to the sixth or seventh, people were sending me messages like, Hey, hey, those those interviews you do with, with Steve on that book, keep doing that stuff. That's good yeah. stuff.
1: You yeah. Know? Yeah. So I it just it, takes I a mean, while. Yeah, it does. I think it takes a, a while like you're saying, a while for people to recognize the content and accept it. And then once they do that they start asking for more of it. Yeah.
2: So what advice would you give to people that have been around the shooting sports as long as you, or just been around shooting that, that might be getting a little burned out. Let's go back and, and relive episode uh, 441 a little bit.
1: Well, so I think the one thing, I mean, like I learned, I was doing a couple things before I completely walked away, but one of the things I started doing is, is starting to just sort of like goof around in other divisions. So at that point, like you, with my Glock 19, I thought, okay, well, you know, it's my carry gun um i'm gonna start shooting that mm-hmm. for a while in competition, and that has a double benefit of hey you know i'm I'm kind of like getting away from shooting my limited gun, so technically in your mind is like, well, this is not competition anymore, I'm doing something different,
0: mm-hmm. but it also
1: means that you're out there shooting your carry gun, which you know is a positive benefit um so that to me, I think helped quite a bit of just you know changing things up a little bit and then. Well, it was kind of funny is that at the same time, some of the other guys that I knew who were shooting Glock 19s, they decided, or they suggested the idea, hey, let's all shoot Glock 19s for the year. We'll all ah. shoot it and do that. But then they, I think, got bored with it or whatever, a couple months into it and decided to go back to whatever they were shooting. I think I continued shooting it for you the rest of the year. You finished out the year, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I did shoot it for the whole entire year.
2: You still carrying um, that Glock 19?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. It's either I either carry the Glock 19 or I have a Ruger LCP2 uh, for you know ah, deep I've, carrier, pocket carry? I've got whatever. one of
2: those. Those are terrific. Those, yeah, those things great, are terrific. Great
1: carry pistols. Yeah. Well, I'm I glad mean, you brought
2: up. Uh, I'm glad you brought up shooting the carry gun because that's exactly what I did. I kind of got. I kind of got a little burned out. Of course, I was not anywhere near the level shooter that that you are or were, but I got a little burned out trying to shoot a, a Glock 34 all the time and try to compete with the big boys in SSP and SSP, uh-huh. and I knew at that point I was, I was never going to even come close to doing anything like winning a state championship or anything like that in my division, so I pulled out the carry gun, the old Glock 19, and, uh, right. and even sometimes a, a shield, and I would go to the matches and still do with the small guns
1: yeah it's a I mean it's a definite I think it's something that people should take into consideration more not only from the standpoint of just you know becoming more proficient with the carry guns a lot of people yes they will carry but when they go this is kind of the, the thing that I fell into when they go to the range if they're a competitive shooter they're usually there for a purpose to be doing something and they're going to be doing it with their competitive guns not their carry guns so the carry guns kind of get pushed off to the side yes they depend on them yes we depend on them I should say um but they were you know when they go to shoot they were shooting their competitive stuff because they were there on a the mission um yeah. so yeah it's i think it's a often overlooked um aspect of the sport that people should consider um but my next step then after doing that um <laughs> when I started really backing away from USPSA was just completely taking off in a different direction of something that that did. I I viewed as a challenge um and and it's funny because we were kind of mentioning this in the pre-interview but I swore when I got out of competitive pistol shooting that I wasn't going to do competitive shooting again, yeah. and I also and I also swore that I wasn't going to shoot in the rain again uh, because I had you know 20 years of shooting in the rain on weekends and that just gets miserable. I mean, if you're out there shooting toward the end of the matches, it's just like I am not having fun. I just want to go home. You know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so for the most part, I've held true to the not shooting in the rain part. Um, if it's raining. I generally speaking won't shoot or what we do at our club is if it's raining rather than shooting the sporting clays course, which is out in the open, we shoot what's called five stand. And I won't go into the details of that, but the Mm -hmm. shooting positions have a cover over them. So you're not completely getting soaked. Um, But what I decided to do is rather than than shooting my nice Beretta, um, I last year went out and got an expensive um, CZ over under. And 20 gauge. Oh, cool. Um Yeah, which, because it was kind of a multi-purpose gun. The intent was I can use it in the rain and not feel about it, feel bad about it. Um, I can use it for travel, so if something happened to the gun, it got lost, it got stolen, it got damaged or whatever, I'm not damaging my Beretta. Mm-hmm. And it's also, it's 20 gauge, so it's fairly light. If I ever wanted to go bird hunting with it or whatever, I could do that. So, that was my solution to not shooting in the rain. The Not shooting competitively, I, for the most part, have held true to that. Um, I, at the gun club that I belong to, I am now in charge of managing or one of the co-managers of the whole entire sporting clays course, and that includes setting up the um, the whole entire competitive course um, monthly for our what's called our monthly registered shoot. Okay. And because of the fact that I set it up, I then end up shooting um, that tournament. So I'm effectively, yes, shooting competitively. I'm not a registered or not a classified shooter. I don't belong to what's called the NSCA. So I'm kind of like unclassified in terms of USPSA speak. I'm just like somebody, you know, off the street or whatever shooting. Um, And I don't shoot competitively at any of the other clubs. What I enjoy doing is traveling around to different gun clubs in the U.S., bringing the guns along and shooting. Um, and that, to me, is a lot of fun of, of going out and doing that. So that's what I get a lot of enjoyment out of.
2: Well, good. That's, that's good. So you've, kinda, you've kept true to some of your, your promises to yourself, but you're also, you're also out there having fun and enjoying it.
1: Yeah, that's very true. And it is kind of funny because one of the things I mentioned is that when I walked away from pistol shooting, I decided I'm just going to be a shooter. I'm not going to get involved in any of the politics, any of the management, any of that stuff like I was before. Yeah, And slowly over time, somehow, um, I got sucked back into it. And and what initially happened is that the two guys that were maintaining the sporting clays course at, um, the gun club, which is Granite Falls gun, gun club and Granite Falls, Washington, actually it's grant, Yeah. Anyway, um, They were managing the sporting clays course, and as they saw me becoming more and more interested in sporting clays, I kind of started getting sucked more into the idea of setting up some of the stations that we shoot. So I started doing that, and then Dave had this idea that he wanted to develop a a trap delay box. And without going into great detail, um, each individual, say, shooting station has two trap machines. And what he wanted to do is design an electrical box that would allow you to have a predefined delay when the second trap machine threw its bird. So you'd hit the go button and the first one would throw and then after two seconds or whatever you dial it up to, the second one would go. Okay.
0: Um,
1: so he had this idea. And once he found out that I knew something about electrical engineering, he yeah, pushed yeah. me to see if I could design that box. And after a certain amount of time, we designed the box, had it manufactured and, and used it quite extensively. And then I got drug into um, being on the board of directors at our club, and then I got drug into basically being the primary um, course setter for all of our our tournament shoots and and whatnot. So, um, yeah, a little bit over time. It's just one thing after another, isn't it? Exactly. I kind of got pulled right back into a a similar um, level that I was at before.
2: But that's okay. You're enjoying it.
1: I'm enjoying it, yeah. I enjoy I enjoy doing the course setup and stuff like that. Sometimes some of the people don't enjoy some of the courses i set up yeah. being a little too challenging, but it kind of comes, comes and goes both ways. But, but that's yeah, that's supposed I enjoy to be the fun that.
2: part. The fun part's supposed to be the extra challenging.
1: Yeah, the, and the, the one kind of, um, I would say, the, the negative thing that you get from course setup, I really shouldn't call it a negative, but... People look at course setup and think you automatically have this built-in advantage if you set the course you, that you're going to know how to shoot it um, better, and, and that you are that you have an advantage, and it isn't fair to let you competitively shoot the course. I don't agree with that. I don't think actually setting a course gives you any advantage of, of shooting that course. But what I'm beginning to believe now is that becoming knowledgeable about course setup gives you a. Um, makes you a better shooter overall in terms of your technique. So oh, okay. uh, I'm, I'm kind of like skewing my opinion is that it's kind of like if, if you can design race cars, it gives you, it may give you an advantage over driving race cars as opposed to somebody who's never designed race cars. Um, it's that sort of an idea. So I don't, I don't think, and I've kind of gotten into this with actually the powers that be at the NSCA Um, Because, unfortunately, they have a policy that states that if you have anything to do with the course design or course setup, you're no longer eligible for class awards. Really? Uh, Yeah, which is completely contradictory to USPSA um, and or IDPA um, volunteering principles. I mean, they, they encourage people to volunteer. They encourage people to help set up courses. And if you set, set up the courses, you know, you are eligible for awards. In fact, even at, at um, major area shoots or whatever, I mean, the staff gets to shoot the course and the staff is, is included in the, um, you know, and, and the staff is, actually can be involved in course design and whatnot, but the staff is included in, you know, the final results. Hmm. I did. Yeah, and SCA, they take a different approach and just say, hey, somehow they think you have a, an unfair advantage over everybody else, and therefore you're not allowed to compete for class awards or anything like that. So I just well, said, okay, fine, well.
2: I could blow that theory out of the water. I mean, I could set up a, a pistol. I could design a pistol match. Right. You know, I could set up stages, but people are going to mm-hmm. clean my clock when it comes to shooting it.
1: Right, and right. just because right.
2: I set it up doesn't mean I have much of an advantage, I don't think.
1: Exactly. That's my belief. Um, And I've seen that in pistol. I mean, because I was involved, same thing in in a lot of stage design for pistol shooting. And, um, you know, I didn't win every single. (laughs) I clearly didn't win every single stage. In fact, I don't think I ever won any of them, the ones that I set up. In fact, actually, to be honest. This has kind of been an ongoing joke. You Usually, screw up your own stages that you set. <laughs> you know.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I bet you you probably get a little needling about that sometimes,
1: huh? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, Honestly. you set
2: this up, and now you botched it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah, and now that I'm setting up all of them, um, I <laughs> I'm fully able to demonstrate that in every single stage that we end or yeah shooting position that we end up doing.
2: I think it's really cool you've made the transition from the pistol shooting to the shotgun shooting. I think that's really cool, and then sort of worked your way up the ladder into into setting up and managing stuff. I think that's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, I really like I said I enjoy it, and I'm I'm becoming more and pro- more and more proficient um, as time goes by. I'm I'm learning a lot more about shooting. I'm advancing. Actually, this last year, year and a half, um, my shooting has kind of like taken to a whole entire new level. Um, I can't really explain why I think it might have to do with just because after a while your mind starts, I'm going to call it banking images or banking scenarios and it goes into something and it sees it and it goes, Oh yeah, I've done this before. And this is what I did. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you kind of have that, the whole entire thing that you can pull back on. Uh, the other part is, like I mentioned before, becoming somewhat analytical, um, I will go into a particular stage now and figure out exactly where I want to break a bird, where I should hold the gun, where I should put my eyes, how I should transitions, this, that, and the other thing. And I come up with that plan before I shoot. And then when it comes to shooting, I just shoot. And it's funny because I I, I don't get into coaching, but I've helped quite a few people in, that are struggling or, or just suggestions of shooting and I always tell myself said the goal is not to break the bird. The goal is to execute the plan. If you execute the plan, the birds take care of themselves and break. Oh,
2: very good. Very good take on that, Steve. That's
1: good. The other thing, just, I just thought about something. You mentioned something recently in one of your last episodes, and you said you love to learn. Uh-huh, And one thing that I always tell people is that you should embrace failure. Yes, because you Because failure means that basically you've identified a weakness in your game. And it's an opportunity for you to, you know, learn how to, you know, overcome that that failure and become a better shooter. And it's kind of funny. This is, this was absolutely, I mean, to me, amazing. So I was, I was out walking our dogs here about, I don't know, half a year ago or whatever, and bumped, bumped into some kids, probably like 10 years old. And I don't know how I got into it, but I was somehow discussed, you know, they were talking about something and, and I mentioned failure. And I said, you know, failure is not a bad thing. Failure is a good thing. And this kid comes back and goes, you know what fail stands for, don't you? And I was oh, like, uh-oh. no, what? And he goes, first attempt in learning. I was like,
4: oh, my Ooh, God. He said yeah. that?
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, like, okay. God these bless kids, him. Are, I mean, For That's 10 years great. old, I was out playing baseball or something like that or doing what kids do, you know, out riding bicycles. And these kids are, I mean, it's like, Wow. So it's like, yeah, they get it. And, and that's really good because I think a lot of people look at failure and they go, failure is negative, failure is bad. I don't want to fail.
2: It's not. It's like, it's no, you bad. want
1: to fail because if you fail at something, that means you, you've identified something and you can learn from it. And it's really fun now to go off and try to figure that out. Yeah, I'm
2: glad it. you brought that up. I've always been a big believer that pain is a great teacher
1: uh yeah in some cases yeah.
2: <laughs> you know pain that yeah, and and i'm yeah. talking about i'm not talking about physical pain right. well well, maybe in some cases, but yeah, I'm also yeah. talking about the pain of failure, the pain in the pain in 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 what you feel when you fail right it right.
1: it can
2: be a good teacher if you embrace it that way
1: yeah yeah exactly, exactly, and that's the key thing is that embracing failure and embracing pain um because it's it's just I mean, it identifies something new that you can learn from. Yeah. And I and I think a lot of people will end up plateauing on what they do or whatever and you need to push yourself um to that next level. In fact, I mean that's one of the things that I always do is that when I'm course setting, I and that some of the things that gets me in trouble with other shooters is that I'll identify maybe a weakness in my game and want to set it up, set up a, a station or a course or whatever to you know to work on that and of course um you know it's going to be challenging for me and it's going to be challenging for everybody else and they look at that and they fail at it and they don't like it and they don't have a very fun shooting experience i look at yeah. it as an opportunity to learn something to, and to you know excel at it so
2: i'm glad you did uh, and i'm glad you look at it that way i back when i was in my you know, mid-20s to to early 30s i had a great mentor at that time that 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 taught me about failure, and that it's not really a negative thing now that's hard because sometimes we still we still look at failure as something negative
1: well yeah, I mean society is driven as that i mean i mean they you yeah. know they, they negatively view anybody who's a failure or whatever anybody who you know when a team loses a game they you know they call a bunch of you know <laughs> failures or whatever yep um and and no, it's not i mean they it's it's something I think in society and culture of of viewing losing or failing as bad, and it's not um, well, and, and it's, it's something not. that I think people need to understand that
2: yeah and you know i've always i do love to learn, and that's why I said that, and some of the greatest lessons I've learned are from failing or from something bad happening right and um it's but it's hard because people are ego driven. And, you know, and I've <laughs> yes. heard I've yes, heard this are. come out of people's mouth. I've heard this come out of people's mouth. I I won't go competition shooting, and I'll ask him why. And I've heard the response: Well, you know, um, I'm not going to be able to win. Right. And and it's hard. As soon as somebody says I'm not going to go do something because I won't be able to win at it. I know that that person probably would never succeed at it
1: because mm-hmm.
2: the object is not to always go out there and win. The object no, it's is not. to go out there and learn what's going to make you better.
1: Right, exactly. Exactly. And and that's very true is that and and that's one of the things that we got into with Brian's book is is the ego driven self. Yeah. And and that is a major hurdle for a lot of people um, in terms of shooting is where the ego wants to get involved. Um, in fact, it was kind of funny because today, um, we had our monthly registered shoot and this is something I learned during pistol or I was doing competitive pistol shooting is never paying attention to your score and not letting anybody try to get in your head, um, about, Oh, you're winning, or or if you do this or whatever, you'll win or whatever. Right. Well, I was shooting, I was shooting really well today. In fact, I probably, I actually ended up finishing second overall out of um, out of all the shooters. And the guy who won wow. um, the shoot today is actually a national ranked um, shooter. I'll drop his name. And people who actually pay attention to shotgun sports will be I'm talking about but Mike Wilgus
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, who shoots at our club frequently. So he ended up winning. He had a score of 96. I had a score of 91.
2: Wow, congratulations. Um,
1: Thanks. Um, But the point was is that during the day, I knew I was shooting well, but I did not want to know what my score was. I never want to know what my score is during the shoot. I will intentionally not look at my score sheet or do everything I can to avoid looking at it because I just don't want to know. Because as soon as you know what your score is, your mind will start, and that's the ego part of it, it starts projecting forward, thinking, well, if I just do this, you know, then I'll win. Because winning is the end goal in terms of what the ego wants to do, and from my standpoint, I just don't go there. I don't. I don't allow myself to know what the score is to get into the. Well, if I just do this, or if I don't drop anything, then I'll win. And and I've seen people completely fall apart where they all of a sudden get to the. You know, toward the end of a USPSA match or shotgun shooting or whatever the case is. We'll just just call it competitive competition in general. And they start going well. If I know, if I just do this, or if I don't do that, or whatever it is, then I'll win. Yeah. And and then they focus on that rather than focusing on what the actual goal or what the what you know you should be doing, which is what we'll talk about in terms of shooting. Um, and it completely blows everything out of the water, and they end up um, failing or losing. Yeah.
2: Well, very good point. Very good point. And the last thing I want to touch on. Uh, let's let's spend five or six minutes on it. It. I was sitting around. I remember it was about mm, two and a half, three years ago. Ben Branham and I were sitting around talking about some of our training classes that we were teaching, and we were kind of debriefing each other. And we we got on the subject. Uh, you know, attendance started going down, and I think it's been going down a lot for a lot of uh, people who were doing some instructing in things, and even in competition matches around here, I've noticed that attendance is going down. And I brought up a subject, and I said, you know, maybe one of the reasons why is that people don't want to come out to the match or they don't want to come out to the training class because they're afraid of maybe getting exposed uh, on what they don't know or what they cannot do. Right. What they cannot do.
1: and, And what we need to do, I think, as a shooting community is to embrace them, pull them in yeah. to our groups, not exclude them um, and help them out, you know, and, and we do that. I mean, frequently I'll have people who come out and shoot or whatever it is, and they're not very experienced. And, um, you know, it's like, you know, come shoot with us. We'll help you out. We'll show you what to do, you know, um, give you tips, give you pointers or whatever. Um, to a certain degree, the problem is you get at some point, depending on how, how much of a sponge that person is, it kind of turns into drink from the fire hose. In some cases, you end up giving people too much information too quickly.
2: Uh,
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, And it can happen.
1: Right, exactly. Um, So you got to kind of figure out where they are and how willing they are to accept the information.
2: Um, (laughs) Excuse me, yeah.
1: But, yeah, no, I I think that's one of the things is that we want to invite new shooters in um, to come join us. It's like, you know, the water's great. Come on in.
2: Yeah, (laughs) But I think a lot of them are afraid
1: well that's what a lot of what it is, is that they're afraid they're afraid because they don't know, um, or they're afraid that they are going to be looked at, laughed at, or whatever, or people are gonna, you know, go, Oh, Jesus, that person really doesn't know how to shoot, or whatever the case is. And it's like, you know, nobody's there to judge anybody. We've all been there before. I mean, every single person, all of us who have been involved in shooting has been that guy, you know, or that gal who's gotten into shooting for the very first time with a bunch of people around them. Um, so, you know, Hey, it, it's, we've all been there. I and absolutely
2: I, remember my very first IDPA match. Oh yeah. And, and I was terrified and I have to, I have to give a compliment out publicly right now to Collin County IDPA. That's who, that's where was where I shot my first uh, IDPA match. And I have to let those people know that. Thank you very much for, for welcoming me and, and taking a newbie who was pretty much scared out of his mind to do it, and they mm-hmm. made me feel comfortable.
1: Right, and, and that's it, the key thing of making f- people feel comfortable and letting them have fun. Yeah, um, you yeah. know, if you're comfortable and you're having fun and you're having a good time, you'll come back. If you're uncomfortable or you're not having fun, um, you know, we'll go off and find something else to do.
2: Do you and, think? And, do you think that? Do you think? That, well, first of all, I want to tell anybody who's listening to this 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 show. If if you have never gone to a competition match or a training class and you're afraid, please don't be because you're going to find the people in the shooting community some of the warmest, friendliest, nicest, most helpful people you'll ever meet.
1: You will get more advice, probably more than what you want Yeah, people. That's the one thing that I've most – it doesn't matter whether you're pistol shooting or shotgun shooting or rifle shooting or archery or whatever – is that it seems like everybody in the shooting sports, and I guess we'll just conclude archery in the shooting sports or whatever, is more than willing, maybe to a fault, to give information or advice. Um, and sometimes it's not welcomed by people. But, yeah, it, yeah, anybody, you ask anybody a question, and you're going to get an answer probably more than what you actually maybe wanted. Yeah, but um, I've, you know what, that. I
2: don't know about you, but I've never seen anybody get ridiculed Because they couldn't shoot very well or anything
1: like that? No. And the other thing is that people think, well, everybody's going to be standing there looking at me shooting. Honestly, they're They're not. not. (laughs) They're loading their magazines (laughs) or doing something else or cleaning their gun or figuring something else out there. The only person that might be watching you is, one, the RO, because that's their job. He has to be watching Um, you, yes. And maybe the next shooter on deck only to see how you're shooting targets. And even then, that's the wrong thing to do because you should have your own game plan and not usually let somebody else's game plan dictate your game plan. Or some friends yeah. or family
2: that came with you. Right, watching. exactly,
1: right, 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 right. But, I mean, yeah. if you're if you're there on your own, there's probably nobody watching you. No, and, really, and even if yeah. they
2: are watching you, they're not going to say, Ha-ha, look at that guy, he just missed two shots on that target. Right. They're not going right. to do
1: that. No. They're
2: not going to do that. And even if they do, they're going to whisper to each other and you'll never hear it.
1: Exactly, yeah. <laughs> you know, the other thing I probably should mention is that for people who are new to it and, and thinking about getting involved in it. That's one of the reasons that Rick and I kind of did the IPSC 101 is that we figured, because we saw a lot of it is that people already already ask them about their interest in getting involved in competitive shooting or coming out and shooting IDP or USPSA. And they'll go, yeah, but I don't know how to write the equipment and I don't know the rules and I don't know how to do it. And I'm afraid to come out and, and do that. Yeah. So the approach we took was with the IPSC 101 is, you know, it was a two-day class. The first day was basically all the fundamentals, everything that you, you know, that you really need to know. There's a lot of stuff you don't need to know. We stayed away from that. But just the basic stuff that you do need to know. And then doing some just fundamental drill things and and whatnot, learning to reload, learning to move, know where the 180s are. Just, again, it's all about safety.
0: Mm -hmm. And then
1: the next day, coaching them through a match, Um, for the very few, first few stages of really, you know, walking with them, telling him how to do it and so on and so forth. Then you can tell with the shooters as they become, you know, more, more comfortable with it. And they're starting, it's kind of starting to click in their head. You start taking the training wheels off a little bit and let them start developing their own game plan. And toward the end of the day, they're usually doing pretty good in terms of, of at least coming up with a pretty sound, you know, plan that will will execute. And that we found allowed us to get a lot of traction of people who would then come back and and continue on shooting. Because honestly, usually what we've seen is about um, you might get a, maybe one third of the people who go through these classes that actually stick with it. I'm going to say a definition of sticking with it is after a year they're still shooting it. Oh, a lot of them will come out. A lot of them will come out and shoot for maybe a couple months or a few matches or whatever, and then you know fade away. But usually about one third or so we would see. Um, would stick with it, which is, you know, one third more people than what you were seeing before because yeah. they were afraid to come out and do it. So I would say to anybody who's interested in doing it, check with your local sections, check with your local clubs, see if they do, if anybody puts on, uh, you know, a beginning competitive shooting, IPSC like 101, whatever you want to call it or whatever they want to call it type class. And, and that I would really recommend doing because um, there's a lot of benefit to it.
2: Yeah, those are, I wish I could have taken one of those classes almost 15 years ago when I started. Um, and another thing, I'll just shoot in here real quick—no pun intended—is um, <laughs> that I had a friend of mine that w- wanted to get started in IDPA about six or seven years ago, and he heard I was doing it. He came out four straight matches and just watched me.
1: Watched yeah. for
2: four straight matches, and before he—he you he, know—and and after about the second one, I said, "Hey, you want to try this?" "No, nope, no, nope, I still want to watch for a little while." And when he was good and ready. Then, then he gave it a try and and he did real well, and it's six or seven years later he's still shooting
1: good, yeah, so it's not yeah. a bad yeah.
2: idea also to go watch somebody for a while
1: right right that's that's very true in fact i i we've had people come out in terms of shotgunning, but the same thing of coming out to the range and just seeing what sporting clays is all about and and just watching us go through and i you know they'll ask questions of why did you do this or how did you shoot that or whatever and end up telling him, and then a lot of times they'll come back the next week and shoot it. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that's – and, in fact, I did the same thing with, with you know, IPSC shooting in the very beginning. I think I went to one or two matches just to watch how they were done, just so I at least had a, you know, a basic understanding of how things worked because nobody was doing an IPSC one type class back then and then, you know, jumped into it. Um, with yeah. my Colt Commander and seven-round magazines and my inside-the-waistband holsters. Oh, wow. Like my, a Colt Commander, seven magazine,
2: yeah. or seven-round yeah. magazines, Colt Commander. Yeah. Uh, wow, interesting. And this was
1: back when there was only two divisions, open <laughs>
2: uh uh-huh.
1: and and <clears throat> basically limited or standard or whatever. And so, I mean, open was open, and, and standard was everything else. So, uh, in my case, standard was a Colt Commander and seven-round magazines.
2: It's interesting you say that because those competition shooters that that come out with with a uh, a nineteen eleven with seven or eight rounds they're almost non-existent anymore.
1: Oh no, they don't. Yeah. They're gone. I mean, it, they're gone. Yeah.
2: <clears throat> or or they're not yeah. gone. They've just come with a different gun now.
1: Right. Yeah. Because I mean, I think. I think IDPA still has a, a division that supports that, and I'm not going to even pretend to know what it is, but it's like CDP or something of that I think it's CDP.
2: I think you're exactly right. Okay. Do, do you know if USPSA still has the single-stack division?
1: They, I think they still have single-stack, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think single-stack still exists.
2: Wow, yeah. But, but what's interesting is I put a Facebook post out about this. Uh, I think it was about a year and a half ago or something. I went to a match one time. There was a lot. It was about like sixty-two shooters or something like that, and two people had a nineteen eleven. Two. Yeah. Two out of sixty-two. That was I, it. You know,
1: I think I think part of that may be due to ammunition costs because obviously forty-five is more expensive than yeah. nine millimeter, um, and that may be the reason why the nineteen eleven, um, especially in forty-five, is not seen as much as it. It you know it used to be years ago. I mean, when I started out, um, I mean, I Jesus, I embraced the 1911 and 45, and I thought that was it was the cool gun that, to be out there shooting.
2: It was, um, yeah, yeah, it yeah. was. And, now and, I have to I have to put a little caveat on what I said. I probably didn't observe all 62 shooters, um, but I paid attention to what what guns were on people's hips as as people were walking around, going from stage to stage, and I only saw two single stack 1911s. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, and everything else and a, was were double plastic. stacked guns. Yeah, well, yeah. not not necessarily plastic. Some double stacked 1911s and 2011 oh, okay. style guns too. Okay,
1: right, right. But yeah.
2: gun, guns that would be in the traditional CDP or single stack division, I only saw two. Um, yeah, maybe you know the right. other
1: thing, and I don't know if I think IDPA has this. I know that USPSA has recently adopted it, but it's called Carry Optics or carry something optics. like that. So yeah. we're where people are putting an optic on top of um, what normally would have been a production-type gun. Yep. Um, And that seems like it's really taken off quite a bit. It has taken off. I guess in terms of USPSA, and I think IDPA has a similar division for that.
2: They do. They do. And the other thing I I really like that IDPA has done is they created a division for the small concealed carry pistols.
1: Oh, that's right. And Rick has talked about that. I don't recall yes. what they call it. Is, is, CCP is, is it? CCP, okay, yeah. Concealed carry yeah. pistol,
2: and right. um, and it's it's for the people. I mean, it's kind of been a joke. Sometimes people call it the Glock 19 division because <laughs> well, because if you read the rules on it, I mean, it looks like they're describing a Glock 19 when they talk about the equipment that you can use. Um, so it's kind of a joke. And, and I think when it first started out, most people were shooting a Glock 19 or something similar to that in CCP. Um, but it's kind of a cool division because um, it, it handicaps you enough so that you can be competitive with almost anything.
1: Huh. I'm, so do they have any divisions that are, and I'm going to say it, really tailored toward um, like pocket pistols or whatever? I mean, Rick, Rick has run matches Backup that they gun. call the. Oh, backup gun, okay, bug, yeah, that's bug it. Bug division. Right, right. bug, bug guns, yeah, yeah okay, yeah. right, right so they, they, right.
2: so they have the bug divisions for backup guns like little okay. Ruger LCP-2s.
1: Right, right.
2: And then they got the CCP for, for your Glock 19s and your, um, your shields. Shields. And, and Sig yeah. P365s and guns like that, and it's kind of cool. So you're not, if you, if you take a Glock 19 type of gun, you're not competing with the SSP or ESP boys. Right, no, right. you're not boys. And, uh, yeah. uh, boys and girls, I should say. Yeah, uh, rhetorically
1: speaking. Right yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: I, do, I hope nobody takes offense to that. No. But um, well, Steve, thanks. I, I appreciate you uh, coming back. It's been a great honor, and uh, um, all these years have gone by, but yet it's 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 still good to have you on.
1: Thanks, Bob. I, I, actually, the honor is mine. I, like I said, I would, I've really been looking forward to doing um, this episode with you. And again, congratulations on 500. That's that's something to to be said anywhere. Again, yeah, from the you. standpoint of of, of being a uh, independent non you know non paid spokesman for you know
2: whatever. Yeah, that's what I am. But, so yeah, I'll, I'll give you the last word. I always like to to give guests the last word. What what do you want to leave people with?
1: Uh. You know, welcome new people to to the shooting sports. Take them out there, um, show them what we've all enjoyed over the years, be it either pistol shooting or shotgun shooting or rifle shooting. But yeah, bring them in, welcome them with open arms, especially the younger generation, um, because you know that's where we're going in the future. Also, a untapped um, I say group of shooters now I think that are beginning to pick up a lot of steam especially in the shotgun sports as female shooters oh yeah we're starting to notice more and more women and i I think even the same thing is to be said in in pistol shooting um is that there's more and more women showing up i think the reason the reason that they are actually in my opinion the growth of the sport is that a lot of the younger shooters come in and they're interested in it and then they go through, you know, high school and they get into college and then, you know, they have bills for college they and they busy. start a family and yeah, exactly they get busy and they start developing families or whatever. And then somewhere around thirty to forty years, you know, of age or whatever, they come back into it. Yeah. Um, so it's like you're investing money now. I shouldn't say investing money as make it sound very good, but Quite yeah, easy. you're Yeah, exactly. For the future, but women are there right now. Um, and we'll be there. Um, so yeah, but I, I definitely, again, I mean, the point is, is that, you know, bring, bring in new shooters, take, you know, somebody who's interested or whatever in it, maybe a neighbor, maybe a coworker or whatever, um, you know, bring out to the range, show them what we do for fun.
2: That's an awesome way to end it. Steve Zofi, thank you for coming back.
1: All right. Thanks, Bob. Thanks again. All
2: right. Have a good one. Thanks. You too. Well my next guest coming on right now. I have been uh waiting anxiously to do this in a in a positive way because Lloyd Bailey is the host of the Armed Lutheran Radio podcast and he joins me for this 500th episode. Welcome Lloyd. Bob uh, it is a great honor to be here. Thank you for inviting me. You're more than welcome. Uh you had me on episode 200 that was a lot of fun. And so, uh, I, I wanted to get you on this episode because, well, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, I think you've got a very influential podcast that I enjoy listening to. So, I wanted to bring you on as a guest. And also, um, it sounds like I had a little something to do with you getting started with this several years
4: back, huh? Absolutely. Um, it's uh, Part of the reason I'm excited to be here to celebrate your 500th episode is because, you are one of two voices who really inspired me to do what I'm doing. And, and listening to you, uh, years ago when I was first experiencing podcasts, your podcast just resonated with me because I could sort of hear me in you, not the, not the police, uh, the police officer or the special forces guy or the, yeah, Oh, or at the time uh, I know things have changed for you but at the time you weren't the you weren't the, the firearms instructor yet and it you were just driving around in the mobile uh, studio <laughs> and yep. and I could and I I loved it and and then in addition there was this um you weren't afraid to talk about your faith and uh that in was that endeared you to me and and uh... i really enjoyed that part of it and so thank you so much for the inspiration i really do uh, i really do appreciate it looking back on five years of armed lutheran radio now it's uh... in large in large part it is uh... thanks to your inspiration well thank you lloyd i appreciate that and just so you and all the
2: listeners know i've actually put my instructing my firearms instructing on hold for a while um because uh you know my real job just got me so busy so i, I guess i'm that. i guess i'm back to in the same role as when you first started listening <laughs> to me 10 years ago and and you're right i don't make any apologies ever for my faith because it's the most important thing and um you know and, and i'm just I'm really happy to see your success, Lloyd. And I, I listen to—I can't say I listen to every single episode, but I listen to a lot of your shows. And your guests okay. are awesome. Anybody that hasn't lu- uh, listened to Armed Lutheran Radio, even if Lutheran is not your faith, you're gonna, you're gonna love this show because it's a—you, you just
4: have a lot of really strong guests on there that bring good material. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's—you um, know—Lutheranism's not required. We'll, we'll be happy to. Um, To uh, convert you, if you prefer, (laughs) but if you're a Christian and you're a gun owner, you're going to get something out of this show because that's the basis. When when I was thinking of of putting the podcast together, I was thinking, all right, I don't want to do exactly what Bob is doing. I don't want to do exactly what Kim Blanchard is doing or any of the other um, podcasts that are out there in the in the pro gun world. I wanted to try to do something different. And and focusing on the the christian side of it the, the our our faith in christ and how it uh, how it intersects with our our right to own a firearm and, and our right of self defense that's the direction that i that i felt like i needed to go and and it puts me in a in a unusual niche but um it's one that i i really enjoy and i and i think uh those who are uh, Christians, even if you're not a Christian, if, if you are a gun owner and and you are concerned about the ethical side of of gun ownership and the gun rights debate, then Armed Lutheran Radio is is you'll find something there for you. I agree, and you also do a competition
2: related show called Unload and Show Clear. Is that right? Correct.
4: That is correct. I started that. Um, I love IDPA. Um, even though I'm terrible at it, uh, (laughs) I I started uh, shooting IDPA in in uh, international defensive pistol association for those who aren't, aren't familiar uh, back in 2011, 2012. And um, I just have met some amazing people over the years going to matches around the country and, and even just the local matches that I've been to in, in both in North Carolina, where I started out and, and here in Texas. And, I had been kicking around an idea to to do a an IDPA centric kind of podcast and I decided to focus on the people who are involved in the sport and not so much on the the politics of of gun rights but um you know people in gun culture are <laughs> misunderstood at, Yes, you're at, right at about best that. you right about it comes that. to the media Um, and people on the anti-gun side or people who are sort of ambivalent about guns, they get their ideas about gun culture and gun people from the media, what they see in in the news, what they see, how we're portrayed by the news media, the way the the movies and television portray Mm -hmm. guns and gun culture. And I wanted to to talk to everyday people who are involved in IDPA. I've talked to some amazing professional shooters like Bob Vogel and and Julie Golub and Mike Seeklander. But for the most part out of the hundred and thirty eight interviews that I've done thus far. Nice. um, I have talked to dentists and doctors and pilots and teachers and, uh, you know, construction workers and auto mechanics and lawn and garden people and just from all walks of life all persuasions all faiths, all colors all socioeconomic classes these people are gun culture and i wanted to share their stories how they got into how they got interested in guns and and you know you and i when you were on the show once we talked about your your story about how you became a gun guy and all these people have very similar stories they either had some incident in their life that said I you know I need to think about my personal protection, or they just fell in love with guns as a kid, and and once they got old enough, and it was their right you know to to buy a gun once they were old enough to buy a handgun, they did. There's and there's mm-hmm. just a really amazing stories out there all over the country that I've I've had the pleasure of hearing and sharing on the podcast.
2: And I've listened to some of those episodes too and I'm so glad you do it because you do get the everyday people and you're right. I'm glad you brought up the point that gun owners and gun
4: rights enthusiasts were misunderstood people.
0: Mhm. Because
4: it's, it's it's too easy to see for the, and especially for those I I'm not really thinking that I'm ever going to change the anti-gun people's minds with the podcast. Probably not. But I'm hoping that the friends and the family members and the acquaintances of people who are featured on the podcast, who get on there and listen, and maybe they don't have an opinion about guns, or maybe they're, eh, I don't know really how I feel about it, I'm kind of scared of them, or, you know, and they hear, oh, hey, so-and-so is on the podcast. And they get to hear a little bit about these people's backgrounds and how they became fascinated with guns and how safe it is and like I did an an episode my 100th in, uh 100th interview was yeah. with my wife. Oh, cool. I, I I had taken her and my daughter, she my daughter was on the show too. I took them to the walking in Memphis regional uh championship last year in Memphis and they got to see a match, a a sanctioned match up close. They'd mm-hmm. never actually been to one. And I wanted to get their impressions of, you know, because they, all they had in their minds was what they'd seen on YouTube or what they'd heard me talk about. And there's probably lots of family members out there who have that same impression. Oh, that's just, that's his thing. He does on the weekends. I don't really like guns. I don't get involved. And I wanted, I want those people who are sort of, you know, on the fence who don't really have an opinion yet, or maybe haven't had a lot of exposure to guns to hear about the the experiences of everyday people who just become fascinated with this sport and love it, and and love the people and the experience of of being involved in IDPA.
2: And thank you. Don't stop doing that because it really makes a statement that that everybody is involved in this, not just wackos. Oh, yeah. That, that you know, like you said, the media the media paints a picture that those of us. You know, gun folks that were a bunch of wackos, a bunch of fringe dwellers, and, and we're not. In right. fact, we're we're exactly the opposite. There, everybody I've ever met, good
4: salt of the earth, helpful, generous, nice people. Oh yeah, where else? Where else are you going to find somebody who will like? Uh, this is a story I shared. I, one of my guests actually turned the tables on me, and she came back on and interviewed me. She is one of the. Oh. She's from. IDPA headquarters and she she's one of the media people there and she said well I want to come back on and I want to interview you and so one of the stories that I related to her about the people in IDPA and I've told this this before when I came to Texas um, the first local match I went to I brought my son with me and my gun broke like first stage Firing pin broke and I was done. Oh no! So I I packed everything up and I was like, "That's fine. I can I can watch my son shoot for the rest of the match." Mm -hmm. And here's a guy. uh, A guy comes up and he looks at the gun and he's like, "What's wrong with it?" And I said, "Told him what I thought." And he had to look at it. He said, "Hang on a minute." And he went to his truck, and he came back with a tricked-out Glock 34, ooh, a holster, mag pouches, and five magazines, (laughs) and said, "Here." Finish the match. Now, this guy had never met me in his life. And he's giving and, you and one of his firearms. Me, yes. You know, Ken Blanchard says on his show that anyone who will give you a gun is family. And that's what you find in the gun community people who are willing to hand you a $1,300 gun and say, here, finish the match. Even if they're competing against you. <laughs> Isn't <laughs> that cool? Isn't that cool? Yeah, and
2: I haven't had a story as spectacular as that one, but I've run out of ammunition at IDPA matches, and people have helped me out. Uh, Mm -hmm. One time, and I don't know how I did this. To this day, I still can't figure it out. I showed up at an IDPA match with my gun. I had no magazines with me. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. I show up. I show up with my Glock. Uh, at that time, Glock 17. I had zero magazines. Well, the really cool thing about a common gun like Glock 17 is a bunch mm-hmm. of people had Glock 17 magazines. Yep. And I didn't have any mag pouches either. So um, <laughs> one guy gave me three magazines to use, and another gave me a mag pouch, and uh, and I was able to shoot the match just fine. But you're right. Uh, nobody gave me a gun to use, but. <laughs> <laughs> I bet
4: if the, I bet if you had showed up and forgotten your gun that you would have somebody would have offered you one. It's just amazing people. And this was and you're right you're right they would have. And
2: this was back in my early days when I was a newbie. I think it was like maybe the 5th or 6th match I
4: ever shot. The, and, the welcoming nature of of gun people because I think they recognize that you're just an average person like they are, and yeah. they want to see you have a good time, and they they don't want to see you walk away unhappy, and and uh, um, they're just they're just giving generous people. And I've been amazed by uh, um, all the stories that I've gotten to hear.
2: Yeah, that's great. So, folks, listen to uh, Lloyd's Unload and Show Clear podcast, and I'll put a link in the show notes for that. So, Lloyd, what what gun are you shooting these
4: days in IDPA? Uh. It's been so long since I shot a match. Oh, okay. But I I love my Glock 34. Yeah. Um and uh last year I shot a lot of uh compact carry pistol, so I shot my um Beretta APX uh compact. Cool? That's cool. And uh, CCP yeah, I, division. CCP, it's what it's sort of the basis of the sport. Um it, it's kind of surprising that the uh, self-defense minded, you know, concealed carry minded sport went so long without having a division that was, you know, specifically for concealed carry size guns. But, um, but, uh, I decided to, 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 I shot a match last year or the year before, um, with my, uh, with a compact gun and I, I had so much fun. I was, mm-hmm. it was, it was great. It I was worried that the change from, you know, 10 round, 10 plus one down to eight plus one would be a little challenging trying to remember the, where the reloads have to happen and, and all the round counting and stuff, but it really wasn't, it was so much fun. And so I decided last year that was all I was going to shoot and, and, uh, went to, um, went to Illinois for the Illinois state championship, which was, which was a lot of fun. And to the Holiday Havoc, which is a match in Evansville, Indiana it's called the Holiday Havoc because they um, every stage is based on a holiday Oh, and, it, it's that's not interesting. Your, and it's not your average holidays either, there was National Bubble Wrap Day <laughs> and, and things like that so they, <laughs> they go through and they find all the crazy holidays and they come up with stages based on those concepts that and, and, sounds like a lot of fun it really is a lot of fun and uh um Texas state is coming up it's always a great match mm-hmm. and uh and I try to get to the matches in in um in arkansas at uh in uh Perryville arkansas at the central arkansas shooters Association. they always put on great matches and I, I traveled last year for the podcast. I traveled to the world championship in talladega. I noticed that. That was a that was fun. That was a long trip, but yeah. it was a lot of fun. Amazing. If if you've never been to the Civilian Marksmanship Park in Talladega, it is an amazing facility. Yeah, that's something I got to do one day. And uh, and that was worlds you said or national? That was worlds. IDPA uh, World. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Every five years they have a world championship, um, and every two years for two years consecutive years they'll host nationals or worlds at the same location so last year uh was worlds the year before that was nationals this year and next year nationals is going to be at the cameo um shooting and education complex in grand junction colorado which is supposed to be spectacular from everything i've seen
2: yeah yeah
4: i've i've never been
2: there but yeah it probably is Pretty good. Well, I'm kind of like you. I've kind of made the transition to to CCP, and um, you know, mostly a Glock 19 or an m and p 9 compact, mm-hmm. um, the new 2.0 version. And it is, uh, it is. I like that division. I'm glad that IDPA came up with it. You're right. It is amazing they went so many years without a division like that. <laughs> right. um, I kind of make fun of it in just one small little way. When was it, like 2016 or 2017, when they established that division? I think something like that, or 2015? I actually
4: tried it out. I shot a Bug and CCP championship in 2015. And then 2015. it became an, okay. a, an official division, I think, 20... I think you may be right. I think Probably 20, 16. 16 or 17, it became official. I used to
2: make a little bit fun of it. I used to call it the Glock 19 division. Because (laughs) if you, seriously, if you look at the very first rules that they wrote and the description of what kind of equipment
4: back whenever they first started, it almost sounded like they were describing a Glock 19. Oh yeah, the the dimensions, the, the the limits for the dimensions of the gun are completely, totally based on the Glock 19. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Four <laughs> inch barrel and
2: and yep. the height and the and the and the length of the gun and all that. It was almost like, okay, anybody that has a Glock 19 that's been frustrated shooting that thing in SSP, here you go, here's your division,
4: <laughs> Glock 19 <laughs> division. Yep.
2: I'm sure the IDPA people would probably. Um, don't like that I just said that, but anyway, probably not. I just I couldn't help myself because it, yeah, that's when exactly I, right. When I read the when it, when it first came out, and maybe I haven't read the rule book in a while, so maybe it's changed. But when it first came out, and I read the equipment, it was like, hey, a Glock 19 division. <laughs> okay, I'll <laughs> shut up now before I
4: I get nasty emails from IDPA. <laughs> so what are you carrying these days? I for the most part I am carrying a 38 snubby, a Smith. Uh, Nice. 342 and a uh, a um uh it's a stainless it's the performance center edition.
2: 342 uh, performance center?
4: Yeah, and it's it 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 just fits me better. You you're it's surprising. I was surprised. I took a class from Grant Cunningham, his threat-centered revolver class. Oh, yeah. yeah. Did did not shoot a snubby in that, thank goodness, because that was a lot of shooting. Yeah. But um one of the things he's, he talked about in his book and he, he talked about in the class was how much easier it really is to carry, especially in certain parts of your body, a revolver inside the waistband. Because the gun, you would think it wouldn't, but because the cylinder is rounded and, and if you have the right shape of the, the grip, it seems to fit your body better in some cases. And for me, it does. I can't appendix carry a standard semi-auto. I can't even. I can't. I've gotten to where I, can, I just isn't comfortable carrying them inside the waistband, but I can I can slap a the, the um, snubby in the waistband and go all day, drive for hours, doesn't bother me, and 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 it conceals perfectly. So I've come to the conclusion that if the balloon ever goes up, I'm not exactly going to be you know. I'm going to be trying to get away from the trouble instead of actually running towards it, getting myself into more of it. <laughs> well, I agree. I agree. I used to be one of those guys that, that you know, was always
2: touting that you should have the highest capacity possible and the largest gun possible. And I've almost done a 180 on that. Yeah. And I don't mind carrying a snubby if I have to, or even something like a like a Glock 43 or a or a Glock 42. Now, lately, I have really taken a liking to uh, a SIG P365.
4: I have been really debating grabbing one of those. They're fantastic.
2: (laughs) They're fantastic. They really are. And I was a critic of them when they first came out, simply because there were too many stories about them not working very well. Right. I waited two years. I waited almost two years from when they released it, to buy one, and it's it's been flawless, and it's it's nice, it's it's great to carry, um, and I carry it outside the waistband, and it feels like I'm carrying a gun inside the waist. Wow! And I can go anywhere I want with that. But snubbies, you're right, snubbies are great. The th- are, are the
4: 342s? Is that like the super lightweight? Um, no, this no? one's um. Airweight or something? It's it's not the airweight. Oh, okay. Those things are awful. Yeah, they maybe are. Maybe it's the six. Well, um, maybe I'm confusing the numbering. It, it maybe six forty two and not three forty two. I think it might be. A, yeah, I have a six forty two. Yeah. Yeah, it's the six forty two. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of like
4: the. It's light, but
2: it's not the super tw- light twelve right. ounce twelve ounce revolver or something. Right. Or the eleven ounce. Hand, ro- oh yeah. Turn. Even with thirty eight specialists I could not imagine shooting one of those with a three fifty seven loaded in it.
4: Oh, Oof. no. Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> I've never
2: tried that. I've never tried one of those really super lightweight revolvers with three fifty
4: seven carry loads. Yeah. The, I mean, and the 642 is, like you said, it's light, but it's not that light. But even at, even with the extra weight of the 642, the stainless, it it's still, even with pl- thirty eight plus P, it still packs a, a wallop in your hand. Yeah, and I cannot imagine Full House 357 through that gun. No, I couldn't either. I couldn't <laughs> through a gun that small.
2: So let's shift gears just a minute. Uh, yeah. Let's let's get back to talking about your show. Okay. And uh, you have guests on there, and uh, tell people who are not familiar with your show about your your guests, your guest hosts.
4: Yeah, I um when I first started um, planning the show, I my thought was that. Because I had blogged for a few years, about four years before I started the podcast. That's and right, my, you did, yes. And my thinking was that the podcast would just be sort of an audio version of the blog. And it was an t- absolutely terrible idea. Just <laughs> awful. I I recorded a few things and I was just like, this is so awful. I, uh, this is so boring. I've got to get some other voices on here. Somebody to break up. Because um, y- you have... Even though you're doing the one man thing, you you do break things up with different segments and different topics, and you have guests. Yes, and and Ken does the same thing. And I was thinking, okay, maybe that's the direction. Maybe have a, a different segment and have a different voice or, or somebody else to come on with me for a for a segment, so that it's not just me droning on for thirty, forty, five minutes or an hour. Mm-hmm. So, I. I reached out to a friend of mine, Bill Sylvia, who is a sergeant with the Dallas Police Force, and he's a, he's a fantastic shooter in IDPA and USPSA. And I said, hey, why don't you come on the show and do a segment, um, uh, sh- competitive shooting tips? And, I th- and my first thought was, he's going to think this is a big investment of time. So I was trying to make it as simple as, I was like, just a, you know, call it the ballistic minute. Ah, well, it's never been a minute. Nope. In five years. Nope, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> and he sent me the first segment. He sent me. He said, "I think we need to call this the ballistic ten minutes because I can't stop talking." <laughs> That's so, great. <laughs> so he's been with me from day one, and doing, he's very good. He's he's so much fun and and does such a good job. And then I got this idea from. Um, I don't remember where I got the idea, but the idea was to take some of these articles that you see uh, that are written from a Christian perspective that try to use God's Word to support things like gun control. Yes. And to try to counter those arguments with a proper interpretation of Scripture. And I was, I, I thought about that, and I thought, I'm not sure whether I'm versed enough i'm the right person to do this by myself so i reached out to some on facebook to some fans who were pastors and i said hey would anybody like to you know join me from time to time on the show and my thinking was that it would be like a rotating guest it would be a different pastor every time i did it and i got um i was contacted by john bennett who is the uh, pastor in Minnesota. At um St. John Lutheran Church in Willow Creek, a little tiny town in in southern Minnesota mm-hmm. and um, he agreed to come on the show, and it was it it just clicked. he He knows the gun stuff, he is a gun guy himself, car- calls himself the pi- pistol pack and padre, carries in the pulpit. <laughs> takes his responsibility as a as a shepherd and a protector seriously knows all of the facts and the theology it just worked and from episode five onward he's been with us um doing what we call clinging to god and guns um and then we had um uh Aaron israel did for three years did some self defense uh um and he segments. was good too really good fantastic yes. Yes. yeah and We definitely miss uh, miss Aaron he's he's given up the sort of like you he's um, life has become very uh, (laughs) complicated and busy Uh and doing the instructor thing just didn't really fit for him anymore so um, and he felt like after doing that that he he didn't couldn't in good conscience continue to give people self-defense advice when he wasn't an instructor any longer Mm -hmm. so he stepped away and then um, but 28 weeks in that first season, I interviewed Mia Anstein, and Mia has a YouTube channel. She is um, a, a hunting guide and a firearms and archery instructor. shes I found out about her because she was just the third woman ever to be on the cover of Field and Stream. Oh, wow. Cool. I didn't know and, that. And I invited her to come on the show, and... Then we started talking, and it turns out she's a Lutheran too, and that's how she heard about my show. And she is a she's an LCMS conservative LCMS Lutheran, and we started talking. And I was like, Hey, would you like to do a segment about you know outdoor stuff and hunting mm-hmm. and archery and and women's issues? We got way too much testosterone on this show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so she came on her first uh segment was the week after her interview aired in week 29 and she's been with me ever since and she's fantastic. Yeah, also good too. Yes. I've I've heard all of them. Yep. They just I I am absolutely uh humbled to have such great people helping me with the show. It's 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 so much better than I ever imagined it would be. I found a notebook. I still have it somewhere over here in my office. I found a a steno pad where I had written down ideas for what the show was going to be before I ever launched it. It's awful. It's just (laughs) horrible. This show is so much better because of these great people who who have uh, contributed over the years and great guests like yourself who just have um, given this... Um, or taking this show in a direction that i i didn 't i couldn 't foresee at the beginning,
2: yeah, and I need to compliment you on some things i i 'll tell you anybody anybody that hears the junk that comes from people who say silly stuff like Christians and guns don 't mix or Christians should not carry a gun, you and pastor bennett just you 're hilarious and you do an excellent job of busting those people and busting those myths i gotta tell you a story i was on an airplane i forgot where i was flying to um something for my real job and uh i I downloaded a couple of your episodes and uh and i was listening to it on the plane and i just started busting out laughing some some stuff that you and pastor bennett were saying i'm just cracking up and i'm sure that i'm sure that the people around me we're wondering, you know, what's this knucklehead laughing about? But you guys are hilarious when you talk about some of the some of the things that the people say that
4: claim to be Christians that are anti-gun. You're good at that. You and you and John are good at that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. We we try to have fun with it. It's not uh, it's not stale or dry. It, we we no, it's not. We're not. Um, we're not above uh making fun of people, and um, <laughs> you're not <laughs> it's true um so and and one of the fun things that I started doing um early on was every, and there's always inevitably there is a a blooper or some absolutely hilarious thing that one or the other of us will say, yep, and I'm just like, okay, I've gotta save that and so i I was cutting clipping these things out and dumping them into a folder, and I thought. I should open the show with this. Mm. These are these are funny. I like that too. And, I like and that. And so every episode opens with a blooper from from the cast every yeah. week.
2: And I've learned a ton yeah, they're very good. I've learned a ton from uh Bill Sylvia and uh and the stuff that Mia puts out there and uh next time you get a chance to talk to or email Aaron, tell him that I miss I miss listening to him
4: yep we we definitely miss uh uh having him on the show he's a great guy and and i took one of his classes he was teaching the um uh rob Pinkus's uh combat focus or defensive focus shooting and uh just he was a terrific instructor uh really knows his stuff and really smart sharp guy and i really the show has been diminished by his uh his leaving us but uh uh, great memories having him on the show, and and uh, I'll I'll be absolutely I'll I'll mention that uh, that you you spoke about him, and he's he's uh, he's a great person, and and was a, a great part of the cast. Yeah, thank you for doing that. So,
2: besides listening to me and Ken Blanchard, what else? <laughs> what else do you get inspiration
4: from? Well, um, a lot of times it's just conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that that God, uh, clinging to God and guns, has sort of morphed into, is we we got away from uh, the nitpicking or the the fisking of those articles because at some point they became more political than anything else, and yeah. it wasn't re- we we weren't really countering any theological issues or questions. So we started branching out in talking about bigger issues um things like uh things like immigration things like um uh, your role as a as a christian your attitude towards government and and gun control law okay yeah um, that's a good bigger, mixture bigger issues that we need to consider as christians we can't it, it's 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 important for us to consider not just, is it my right, but is it right? And so one of the things, for example, in, in an upcoming episode, it'll probably be out by the time this episode airs. Um, we're going to be examining um, the difference between persecution and violent crime, because that's one of the major arguments that you hear from, from anti-gun Christians a lot of oh, okay. times is, you know, the the... The Jesus and the disciples they didn't they didn't resist when they were persecuted. So you shouldn't either. Well, there's there's a vast difference between that persecution under the law un, in Roman times, or or persecution handed down from a uh, a rightfully ordained government, as opposed to being attacked by some you know some guy kicking in your door because he's. You know, there to to take your stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a completely different uh, a different thing. So it's very different, and and we we've tried to take news stories or like one of the things that we're thinking about tackling is um, is this uh, this idea of of uh, uh, help me out here. Um, you're going to have to edit this out. No, that's uh, okay. <laughs> that's
2: all right. I'm good at that. <laughs> Is, the idea um, of what
4: of that uh, the people shouldn't carry Christians sh- shouldn't carry or what Oh no we've 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 dealt we've dug into that we've talked about uh, uh, gun free zones and what should our our um, oh, response zones, be to yes. gun free zones because is it a is it a government ordained gun free zone where it's it's actually a you know uh, there's lo- legal precedent or law behind it is it just some some business that says no you shouldn't carry here is it just a sign. And what should our attitude towards those different things be, based on our relationship as a Christian to, um, or as a citizen uh, to uh, to the government and um, criminal justice reform? That was the thing I was just trying to think of. That's okay. That, but we also have done some fun stuff. Um, we've done a, something called "Crime and the Ten Commandments." I don't know whether you've heard this.
2: I think I may have heard you guys do one or two of those.
4: This is something that we've done from time to time where we take uh, crime or self-defense stories and we apply a proper uh, understanding of the Ten Commandments to, all right, here's this situation. Here's this, these people committed this crime or this person had to defend himself against these criminals. What, how, how are the Ten Commandments involved here? Because uh, one of the things that, that, as christians we should always consider whenever we're making decisions uh, in our lives is well what does the what does what does the 10 commandments tell us you know are we mm-hmm. um am i interested in going out with this woman who's not my wife well well the 6th commandment says we probably shouldn't do that uh i'm angry at my neighbor so because of his dog is tearing up my my yard i'm going to go over and and have it out with him um, or I'm going to, to shoot the dog. Well, maybe that's a fifth. No, that's a fifth yeah. commandment issue. You probably should consider and pray about before you actually go and do that stuff. Exactly. So, and and one of the things that we've we've talked about over and over again is all crime. Generally, crime starts in the the, the commandments about covetousness, and they work their way up through the commandments. So you covet something. There's something that you want that you, that God hasn't ordained for you to have and so you break all these other commandments to get there to get and to that one thing yeah yep and it ultimately takes you to the first which is a violation of your of you know loving god above all things you've you've placed your love and your trust in above something god. That, yeah. above god mm-hmm. and that's where we we get into trouble and some of those some of those shows are quite funny because the decisions that people make and the things that they do we did one whole show about florida man
1: <laughs> and
4: And so we'll talk about the Ten Commandments and how they apply in all these stories. And then I'll ask Pastor Bennett, if this criminal was one of your parishioners, how would you counsel them? How would you preach to them? Ooh, good question. And those are fantastic. Those are really fun shows. Yeah, well, you've done a good job of piquing our interest here, Lloyd.
2: Um this this is good. This is good. I just want to finish up because I want to try to finish up in about the next 3 to 4 minutes. I'd like to get your opinion on something.
4: Okay.
2: You brought this up just a few minutes ago. Gun-free zones. Mhm. Um here's my look at it and you know feel free to 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 differ or agree or somewhere in the middle. I'm very conflicted by gun-free zones mm-hmm. because part of me says Nobody has the right to take my God-given inherent right of self-defense away from me. Right. But then the other part says, well, it's a person's private property. And they can do what they wish with their private property. And to me, those two just really conflict. Um, Have you and John ever
4: dove into that subject? we have i had in fact um early on i think it was epi- uh, one of the first 45 43 episodes maybe i had my pastor on from north carolina ralph abernathy and we talked it's called of god and gun free zones okay and we and we spent the the entire segment talking about this issue and how we should think about these these things as christians and as gun owners as we, we've got to remember that we we, you know, Romans thirteen says for us to to submit to respect to the government. Yes, right. The fourth commandment is about respecting authority ultimately. Mm-hmm. And so, if you're talking about a gun free zone that is is has the weight of law behind it, then as much as I hate those things and I wish they didn't exist, we as Christians should obey. We should obey, and they are legal for people to. To, yes. It is legal for a person to create their piece of property that they own into a gun-free zone. Well, and there's the other thing. When you the, there's I think three flavors of gun-free zones. There's the one that's backed by law, mm-hmm. and those we should definitely obey. Then there's the ones that are where it's a business and I saw this a lot in North Carolina, you can see it, we see it here in Texas a, a number of times where they put up the no, the no gun signs but they're not the legal no gun signs. Right right in that case as a christian you have the freedom to ignore that because you're not disrespecting government or authority because that that business doesn't have authority over you right right but now, in the texas but you live in texas with me
2: we have the 30 out 6 signs and the 30 out 7 signs which do carry the weight of law or the force of law however you want to put it absolutely um, and it's like you i absolutely hate when somebody puts up a, a sign like that,
4: however, it's also my right not to go on their premise. Yes, exactly. And as a, you know, we're we're both. If you if you think about the two two kingdoms doctrine, where we're, we're both the part of the kingdom of the left and the kingdom of the right, we're the kingdom of of heaven and the kingdom of earth. We, as citizens, as kingdom, as members of citizens of the kingdom of 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 earth, we have a right and a duty to change the laws that we think are, uh, unjust. And mm-hmm. I think gun-free zone laws are unjust. So I think they should, are too. Yes. We should work within that government, that system that is ordained for us, the government to change those laws and to change people's minds about them. But if it's just a sign or if some guy says, you know, puts up a, a, a sign on their door at their, at their home, it's respectful not to carry at their home if they if they say we don't have or don't like guns at home or whatever, or if it's a business, don't go. You know, you have a choice there. If the if the sign is not carrying the weight of law, and you wouldn't be violating the law in carrying there, then go ahead and carry. You have that freedom. Well, let's say uh, let's or say... go somewhere else, like you said, take your business somewhere else that respects your rights. But there are some cases, Lloyd, and here's where I'm conflicted, where you can't
2: do that. For example, where a person works. Many times, their employer. Yeah. And, and there could be a lot. I mean, there could be 200 people working there. Or maybe there's only five people. Uh, and the boss, the owner, says, no guns here. Now, you know, I That's hear... the
4: third flavor that I...
2: <laughs> yeah, and I see so many comments. People say, well, you don't have to work there. Just go work somewhere else. That's not realistic. That's not Correct. realistic. How many people walk into their boss one day and say, well, I'm submitting my resignation because you don't allow guns here? Um, yeah. I bet that number is very small, and a lot of people are not really in a position to do that. You know, They I need agree. that job. They need that income. They like that job, and they're supporting their family with that job, but yet their boss is denying their right to protect themselves when they're at that job.
4: Yes. And, and, and that's a and difficult one. That is very difficult, and, and one of the things... About the the discoveries that the that we've made on the show, the the search for information and truth that we've looked at through the years on the show, sometimes the answers we come up with aren't really comfortable. Mm-hmm. And and this is one of those situations. As if you if you look at the fourth commandment, the fourth commandment talks about uh, honor father and mother, but it's also talking about those in authority. Um, by extension, and your employer is is in authority over you.
2: Yes,
0: and, true.
4: And if you disobey them, you are violating the fourth commandment.
2: Yes, you are. Now,
4: so, as Christians, that's not a comfortable. As a gun owner, that's and a Christian, that's not a comfortable answer that I really want to come to. But if you're going to be fair and true to the to the scriptures, you kind of have to go there. If you're if, if 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 what you read in the scripture makes you Comfortable with yourself all the time Then you're probably not reading it right <laughs> because Yeah because It's going to it's make, gonna us make feel you uncomfortable, uncomfortable. <laughs> And that is one of those uncomfortables
2: I'm just talking about the situation Where yeah. if the economy takes a downturn And you know jobs are not that plentiful mm-hmm. And somebody has a good job um, They don't want to quit that job Because no. their boss doesn't allow them to carry a gun But yet they also don't want to be Giving up their Second Amendment rights To protect themselves either
4: Right, but and it's as a, tough a Christian, situation. your responsibility to, to o- obey authority is greater than your Second Amendment rights. Good point, good point, so, good point. So good what point. you should do in that case, I would not advocate anybody quit their job just because their their workplace is a gun-free zone, unless you can find a better one. Mm-hmm. Um, but if that is your situation, then what you should do is obey, but at the same time work through your relationships with your coworkers and with your employer to maybe change hearts and minds to affect about the change issue. peacefully, peacefully. Yes. Yep. Yeah, to peacefully affect change and maybe change
2: the mind of the owner. Good point. Yep. Good yep. point. Very, very good point. Um, thank you for kind of answering that because that's something yeah, I've absolutely. struggled with. You know, um, it's because hard. It's, well, yeah. those of us, those of us who are all pro Second Amendment, we also talk about the right to be free, to preserve your freedom, and to defend yourself and property as God given rights. Yes. And that's what the Second Amendment protects. It protects the, the right you already have to to be free, to fight against tyranny, to protect yourself. You have that right already. Mm-hmm. Yes. And and the Constitution says nobody shall, well, actually it says the government shall not take that right away from you. Um, right. And it really technically does not say that a private
4: property owner cannot take that right away from you, does it? No, that's yeah, that's kind of the gray area in the in the law. If a if a private individual doesn't want you to carry a gun on their property, then their property rights kind of kind, kind of over, supersede kind of supersede your and you because you have the freedom to go somewhere else.
2: Yeah, yeah. Most of the time, ninety five percent of the time, you probably do. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Good stuff, Lloyd. This is good stuff. I, 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 I may have to bring I you back love on talking about this stuff. <laughs> I may have to bring you back on just to talk about this subject because oh, yeah. uh, we don't have time now but I got some, some differing opinions and some things I struggle with and uh, I, I, you seem to be pretty knowledgeable on it so I'll bring you back for it oh I'd love to well folks um, if you haven't been listening to Lloyd Bailey's uh, Armed Lutheran Radio Podcast and his Unload and Show Clear Podcast you really need to do that put him on your lineup and um,
4: Lloyd thanks, thanks for joining me on this 500th episode well, it's it's been an honor to be here, and congratulations on 500 episodes, 500 more, I hope. And uh, yes. thank you for everything you're doing for the Second Amendment and for all of us out here in in podcast in gun pro gun podcast land. I, I really appreciate it. And same to you, Lloyd. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Wow, was that all good stuff? Um, I want to very much thank my three guests, Glenn Tate. Steve Zophy and Lloyd Bailey thank you very much for kicking off episode 500. Support them. Um you know, listen to the Armed Lutheran Radio podcast that that Lloyd Bailey does. It's fantastic. It's excellent. I listen to it as often as I possibly can. And uh Thank you, Steve Zofi. You know, it was like old times interviewing you, and I appreciate that. Because it was. It was about 10 years ago when Steve and I first started doing some really informative videos here on, on the Handgun World podcast. And some of his new ventures that he's into now. His new shooting hobby and things like that. It's just uh, it's so interesting. It's just amazing. And buy Glenn's books, like I was mentioning. And get yourself prepared. I am going to probably next week... I'm going to record some special survival and preparedness episodes for the Shooters Club members. I'm going to put some different material on there. Some things that I've been doing that's been helping me out a lot. And uh, this disaster is just not quite so bad as it is for some people, for me and my family. Because we got ready. I mean, we've, it's kind of the lifestyle that we live. Again, I'm dedicating episodes 501 to 505. That's going to be the, the, the show. And by the way, I'm probably going to put them out once a week. The free podcast, handgunworld.com. But for all of you who do support me at $8 a month or $75 a year at the Shooters Club, you're going to get some really special material, special interviews and things like that. And I even have some guest hosts that are going to be doing some interviews for me on the preparedness topic because everybody needs it right now. It's so sad that some people waited till the last minute and and they can't get what they need. Um, And uh, you know for all of you who thought that that a disaster like this couldn't happen here in the US just not possible well you know i hope your i hope your mind is changed i really do i hope it's changed and i will always keep this family friendly so that you can listen to this like if you're quarantined and you want to listen to this as a family it's always going to be a family friendly show and uh it's, for as long as you guys keep listening, I'm going to keep producing these podcasts. Please remember to leave me an iTunes review if you've never done that. If you do use iTunes or Apple Podcasts, is what they call it now, to get your to get this feed and and to listen to these shows. So remember, uh, next week, next Sunday, the 29th of March, will be episode 500B, and that will feature Ben Branham. Dr. John Adin and John Payne from Suarez International and Payne Defensive Academy. Oh, they've got some good stuff, too. (laughs) Really good stuff. And uh, all these interviews, remember, these were all done within the last um, three to four weeks. So, it's taken a while to put all this together. So, you know, we don't mention a whole lot of coronavirus because it really wasn't a huge crisis when I did all of these uh, interviews. But I'll definitely be covering that a whole lot more in the next five episodes with some people that I interview and with also uh, some guest hosts. So get ready for that. I apologize for the length, but there's a lot of good stuff. And this is a celebration, kind of a episode 500 extravaganza, as Lloyd Bailey called it. And uh, I appreciate that. I'm borrowing that phrase from Lloyd. Thank you very much, sir. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening to episode 500A. ...of the Handgun World Podcast. I'm Bob Main. I carry a gun because I can't carry a cop. And remember, get prepared. Get ready. What is it going to take to, to, to wake you up if you haven't already? So, start getting ready. Remember, evil does not exist in the holster. It exists in the hearts of men and women. Get your hands on some ammo... Right now, get your hands on some ammo. It's almost we got a big we got a big ammo scare, ammo shortage. It's already here. Hurry up and get some if you haven't purchased any ammo yet or you need more, get it. Okay, that's it. Talk to you again in a week with three more guests. Episode 500B coming up on March 29th, 2020. Thanks for listening. Remember to shoot straight, shoot safe, read your Bible. Every day, we need God's help. And I'll talk to you next time.
0: Good.